Millennium Clock. It's, it's the Millennium Clock. Ten, nine, two, count down. Six, Come Millennium. On. Four. We're counting down. Yes, three, here. two. We're counting one. it down. What? 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 Attitude Era Podcast, episode number 17. Yep. Are you sure? Yeah, 17. Pretty confident. Last one was 16. That would make this 17. I say, I didn't feel like, oh, he's a wacky. He starts off, he never knows the number of the episodes. This is actually like no, you just genuinely don't know genuine struggles. I'm genuinely not motivated enough to <laughs> record again and find out. It's just, boom, we're going. That's it. Do you want to bother with the podcast? Like, are you up for it? Arrow will give her a go, I suppose. Yeah, I've not seen the paper. You guys. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everyone. Once again, I'm Kevin Mann. Join as I am always in this review of the Attitude Era by my cohorts, comrades, and colleagues. First and foremost, Bam Bam Bibolo. That's me. How are you? Very well, thank you. I'm miserably cold because it's a typical British winter at the minute, but uh, I'm very excited to talk about this. Are you ready for an out-of-body experience? 
Jesse the body, then that's what you're doing there, isn't that it? That is what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yes, I am ready for an out-of-body experience, Kevin. Fantastic. And to my right, the baddest man on the planet, Mr. Billy Keeble. Hello, Billy. Hello there. How's things? Pretty good. Again, like Adam said, pretty fucking cold. But I'm looking forward to uh, talking about Summer Slim Fast 99. <laughs> Summer Slim Fast? Ban- Summer Slim Fast. Fantastic. Because Slim sounds like Slam. I uh, see what you did. You ever notice that SummerSlam never seems to really actually like, push the whole summer motif freely in these pay-per-views? I mean, me too. Well, I was going to say, like, if we watched this and it was all like, you know, fucking nice and warm and sun-based, like Bash at the Beach or something, yeah. we might feel a little bit warmer in this yeah. musical weather. Even, but- even the posters, like nowadays, they're on a roller coaster having a whale of time. Yeah. Hey, Vince, is SummerSlam the hottest party of the summer what colour do you want your stage cobalt blue you know <laughs> okay we're going to talk about this first before we get into the meat of the pay-per-view itself tease at the end of the last episode and we had it there at the start of this episode a very important debut uh, some would argue one of the best segments or best debuts of all time but we're going to have a quick chat about it now Mr. Y2J himself Chris Jericho finally debuting on Rise yeah. War after months of teasing on a big old millennium countdown clock here he is, the Ayatollah of Rock and Roller. What do you guys think of this segment? To be honest, it's hard to judge the segment by itself because I was seeing it more of like, oh my God, I'm so glad that Chris Jericho is finally here. You know, like there's another guy we can add to the roster, another guy we can talk about frequently on the Someone podcast. to save the WWF as Exactly, says, yeah. yeah. Uh, but it was a great segment as well. I mean, all around, it was entertaining anyway. Quite long. Yeah, that's... But very long. That but, was uh, something which I wanted to, to maybe pick up on, which is that... I love this segment as well. I mean, Jericho is outstandingly funny. Like, so charismatic. I love just the, the balls and the bravado of having him just go out there and interrupt The Rock. Who, it's The Rock. Yeah, yeah. how dare the man? Like, yeah. And I thought it was a nice continuity from his WCW character. And it was one of the first and only times I thought they effectively kept a guy's momentum going from another promotion by continuing the character. But it is long. Mm, it is. Really Fucking long. long as shit. Jericho in his book said he thought it was too long. Yeah. I don't know, what do you think of it, Billy? I don't think it was too long. It was long, but I've seen longer promos which have been, like, five times worse than that. Yeah. yeah. And I, mean, I suppose people didn't get bored by what he was It was, was entertaining no. anyway, yeah, that's the important part. Uh, what do you think of his Popeye faces he made at the end? He was like... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what is that? It's weird, isn't it? It's like... If I was seeing Jericho for the first time ever on that segment, <laughs> I'd be like, is he all right? Yeah. Like, what's and, that thing? And, and the thing you can't say ever... Ever. He's a very eloquent young man, but when he gets to ever, he sounds like a witch. <laughs> he struggles with his words. He's, he, Jericho is like comes prepared already. He is like catchphrase heavy. Yeah, he mm. is you know personality heavy. He's got all this stuff ready to go, and it's kind of like, hey, audience, catch up. This guy's got all this shit. These are the chants you need to pay attention to. Make these T-shirts now. Yeah, exactly. Know? Although it's, I don't suppose we can't get into it too much now. But you want to talk about a debut that just, it's impossible to follow through on, isn't it? Mm, yeah, Interrupting. Mm, that's true. I suppose we'll talk about that more later on. But, I mean, it, obviously, very well-remembered, fondly-remembered moment. One of the true shocks of seeing someone from WCW jump over to WWF, you're now getting the sense of the tide was well and truly turning and that not only was it now that old guys were going to WWF like it was earlier, it's the young talent, the, the really like cutting-edge wrestlers. The up-and-coming yeah. guys. They're coming to WWF. And people like Hogan might titter all they want, going, oh, well, who cares about that guy? But in, you know, a year's time, you'll see why WWF were made such a smart investment by getting in these guys. Mm. Yeah. And with that being said, it's time to get into the next pay-per-view in our timeline. It is SummerSlam 1999, an out-of-body experience. Cue the worst fucking promo ever. Oh, Jesus, so boring. 
I would like to introduce to you the enforcer in the main event at WrestleMania in somewhat of a guest yes. referee capacity, Iron yes. Mike referee. Tyson. count one two three it's over by my hand Absolutely disgracefully dull. This yeah. is one of the big four. This is SummerSlam. The pay-per-view as a whole, the build is a bit yeah. yeah. Particularly yeah. with the main event. It is underwhelming. I don't feel like fully loaded seems like a bigger deal than this. Oh yeah, yeah definitely. All the focus has been put on refereeing here. Like that's the most important thing about tonight is the special referee. It was funny if did, did, was I think I felt like it was some sort of retrospective on our own podcast because it's slowly opening yeah. <laughs> Mike Tyson like the brownish brown. <laughs> Tyson and Austin Tyson and Austin yeah I, I, I have to say that was uh, that was that gave me a kick and also showed you how often Vince Russo played the special guest referee hands. yeah more than you think actually even though we've covered all these pay-per-views I didn't remember there being that many special guest referee matches you never go oh not another special guest referee yeah. but now that you've pointed it out to us oh not another special guest referee <laughs> It was all over the place. They touch on Austin's title being in jeopardy and it being a triple threat match. But the focus of this is solely on one Jesse the Body Ventura. I suppose he's the only guy in the promo who is a governor. So, you know, truth be told, who could blame them? Alrighty, opening things up there, Jim Ross and Mayor King Lawler. He's, <laughs> he is not a mayor. He never will be. No, swing and a miss there, JR. JR and Mayor King Lawler run down the event, and straight away we cut to Jesse Ventura backstage, laying down the law. Talking to a Tommy Hilfiger model, it would seem. Triple what H. is Triple H wearing? He looks like such a, a pretty boy, like he should be on the back of a magazine he, or something. He looks like a proper prick, doesn't he? He does. There's a couple, <laughs> there's a couple of moments throughout this pay-per-view where Triple H will wear something that makes him look like an outstanding prick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when, when your go-to headpiece is a backwards leather paddy cap, as Seriously. I said, you're in jeopardy right there. We'll get this a lot tonight, but it's Jesse Ventura trying to like put over basic rules. He goes, the pinfall's gonna happen in the middle of the ring. No fucking shit. It's a wrestling match, you turd. What is this, Jesse Ventura conspiracies? I've heard there's been pinfalls taking place all over in the Mississippi River. You know, come on. I, I thought it was silly, but I mean, I like the idea because Triple H has been such a dick on TV and running roughshod that it's like, 
you know, this special referee, you know, he's going to stand up to him. And yeah. He's going to keep, he's going to do what Sergeant Slaughter attempted to do unsuccessfully. Keep China in line, more or less. And what I do like as well is, that, you know, yeah, it is stupid that Jason Ventura is making a big deal out of it. It will be in the middle of the ring, but he's... My hand will make physical contact with the man. <laughs> Three times, Helmsley, you believe it right now. <laughs> but I don't know, that sort of traditionalism just makes him... I, I like it because it makes him seem like he is a guy from the old school. He's not been around in the Attitude Era. Hey, yeah. He, he, he probably doesn't realise there is such a thing as a Falls Count Anywhere match. And, and uh, Jesse Ventura, of course, is, is no stranger to special guest refereeing at SummerSlam. Of course, he special guest refereed the main event of SummerSlam in 1988. Oh, did he really? Yes, he did. So, I mean, it's it's nice to see Jesse back uh, looking completely differently, doing the same job. We get another shot now of Jericho, who we previously mentioned had debuted with his running boy, his young boy, his errand man, Harold Finkel. Harold Finkel. Harold Finkel. Harold Finkel. <laughs> oh, my God. Poor um, Fink. It feels like the only times we ever mention Fink is on the podcast is when he's getting bullied by someone. Oh, it made me laugh, though. It was funny It as was fuck, so yeah. funny. It's something which kind of gets developed more uh, in the coming months, but off the bat, they had this whole idea that Jericho was this cult of personality. He had this kind of... I don't know, like Tom Cruise and Magnolia vibe about him almost. Right. That people were just like, oh my god, he's he's going to help us all out. And Howard Finkel, who fell threatened by Lillian Garcia and Tony Chimmel, flew to, uh, he would draw like moth to flame. <laughs> yeah, a lot of embarrassing stuff happens to Fink, including you know, him doing run-ins for Jericho, oh. and mucking it up, him dressing up as a Mexican wrestler to help out Jericho. And anytime, anytime they make a getaway after doing something nefarious, Howard Finkel ended up a left behind. <laughs> or if he was lucky, Jericho would stash him in the boot of his car. Oh my god! As Jericho drove away, so undignified. It's very undignified. Oh. I would question straight off the bat, kind of going, right? You're in there with the Rock, you know, making a big debut. Here's Howard Finkel. Make it work, baby. You know, it, <laughs> it's it's two different speeds. It is, but I get the feeling that Jericho is going to pull it off. Mm, well, yeah. I mean, like you said earlier, it, it does kind of set Jericho up too high by having his first ever segment with The Rock. I mean, it, they're not going to be able to follow up on that, like you say. But I mean, I don't know, I've got a lot of faith in this idea. I think this could. Run yeah, well. what it, the segments are entertaining as hell. Yeah, and of course, SmackDown debuting around this time is a full time show. One of the focuses, Jericho got a lot of segments on it, a lot of wackiness with Harold Finkel, including one time when he ran out to be up. Tony Chimmel uh, coming into the Ultimate Warriors music. Oh my god. <laughs> Jericho like hyped him up so much he was like, you're a warrior, Harold! And he comes out dun, 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 dun. Uh, Chimmel kicks his ass but like oh, it was funny. Like. Alrighty, opening contest kicking off here. It is Double J, Jeff Jarrett taking on the new Eurocontinental champion, or boy D'Lo Brown wearing all the gold. Yeah, yeah, looking good. Both belts on the line. D'Lo, of course, had won the European belt fully loaded. Jeff was the uh, Intercontinental champion, and on Raw they faced off, and D'Lo got both belts. Yeah. Mainly because Deborah has apparently, whatever she was that she's been doing previously, is now work, not working out with Double J. Yeah, so yeah. whatever it was that she was meant to be doing. I'm not entirely sure on that. It's uh, around this time we got our first look at the signs in the crowd. Oh, oh baby. And I feel like uh, we get a good insight into the crowd through these signs. Big show equals fat bastards. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we admit, we did time travel a little bit with this <laughs> Elliot blows sheep. Don't know uh, why that was there. Nice fact. Uh, we get Mr. Rash. Mr. Rash. Which I did like. That was one of my favourite signs. The tonight. bad Rash Billy Gunn. Uh, we get, I'm at SummerSlam and you ain't. Yeah, of that's course, a, that, we're watching that you on the screen. You've got me there. Hick. Yeah. No <laughs> arguing with that. We get, wash me down with ivory. Okay. okay. 
No, I don't. the female wrestler Ivory, who we put going about. Oh, not, not the illegal. The sexy way. It's sexy. It's wash a sexy me down. A sexy washing. Mate, with I, ivory. ivory is like how, what elephant tusks are made of. Yeah. What is you, that? You, you can't <laughs> use it like soap. Right? Yeah. What is that? That's and, ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> that yeah. is not sexy. <laughs> Elephants died for that. Jesus <laughs> Christ! And then finally, we get I'm as hard as the rock. Well, oh, there you go. Nicely done. Thanks, Ross Kemp. <laughs> Alrighty, uh, we start things off with Double J having a big old argument with Deborah, and he sends her to the back, and the crowd are fucking nuclear. Off the bat, you can tell this is a hot crowd. Yeah. They go apeshit. Hot for Deborah, at least. What annoyed me before was that they would just cheer Deborah, you know, and they would ignore Jeff. Mm. That's what happened with Mero as well. They would yeah. cheer Sable and ignore Mero. But they're booing Jeff because of how he's acting with Deborah now. And that's great. They're yeah. not chanting for puppies, they're chanting, You suck. That that was a massive leap, I thought. True. And a really smart use to Deborah as well that she sent to the back, and who did she come out with then? D'Lo Brown and D'Lo comes out to a fucking hero's welcome yeah. good god standing ovation I know it's, it's <laughs> awesome it's very simple but very very smart use of, of Deborah there I'd yeah. say it was really smart immediately D'Lo gets D'Lo chance as well and again that's nice that, that it's not just Deborah. it's D-Lo transferred well. off onto yeah. D'Lo which I was very happy to see the crowd are really hot and it's really fucking just awesome stuff from these two two favourites on the podcast these guys Definitely. Yeah. I mean awesome sit out powerbomb spot Jeff catches D'Lo with a side slam off the top rope as well mm. uh, innovative stuff I have to say really amazing the guys brawl to the outside Jim Ross at one point calls Jerry Lawler a male chauvinist pig well, I'm not surprised. I'm uh, genuinely not surprised. Yeah. I think I jumped the gun last week when I, I said, I, it was pointed out to me, I said that JR was, was, was progressive. Yeah. That is probably not true. More chivalrous. Chivalrous, yes. I suppose in relation to Jerry Lawler, it may have just seemed like it was progressive. But by kudos contrast, to him yeah. by yeah. just actually calling him what he is at well, the start. Well, in fairness, King doesn't even refer to Deborah as Deborah anymore. He just says, oh, there's the puppies. Yeah, like, the puppies. Wh- when he's, she whistling, he's whistling for the puppies to come to him. Like, like a dog. Yeah, he and wants the puppies. When she was leaving, when uh, Jeff sent her, well, when she left Jeff, um, King actually goes, "Where are the puppies going? Come back, puppies!" Like, he doesn't even know that Deborah is a person anymore. <laughs> he just sees tits. That is horrifying. More amazing stuff from these two. A second rope arm breaker from Jeff, then a running power bomb from D'Lo oh, Brown. Oh man! I'd say that was a move which we'd seen a few times and made us go. Ah. When it's done right, it yeah. looks glorious. These two guys are just like the right size for each other, if that makes sense. Yeah. Once again, this is a Jeff Jarrett match, and we do have our grunt of the night here. Huzzah! Another not, another glage. It's it? not a glage. I'm starting to think that we've had the last glage now. He, he said glare. Yeah, no, point. yeah. He, he got me the same. Went glab. But he no, did, that's because no. he didn't throw him off the ropes. Yeah. He just grabbed him normally. Didn't follow up with a gay. Uh, instead, <laughs> D'Lo makes our grunt of the night tonight. When uh, Jarrett is uh, wrenching D'Lo's arm in the corner, D'Lo just turns his head and goes, <laughs> well, you know, I- <laughs> It sounds horrible. He's really loud. Like It's like he's mic'd oh, up or something. Brilliant. So we get into the ending sequence here. The crowd are really loud for D'Lo's offense. We get Deborah coming up on the apron as Double J grabs the guitar. And then who makes his way to the ring? The man who's been put through a lot of uh, exercise. Yeah. Of <laughs> it's only sexual marmite Mark Henry. And there we are. He grabs the guitar. We're all waiting for him to clatter Jeff because Deborah, who's with D'Lo apparently, is distracting the referee. Mother of God, Russo, you swerved us all. Yeah. Sexual marmite clatters D'Lo Brown with a guitar. Swerve! It's the mother of all swerves! He's sick of baked potatoes. <laughs> I was 
appalled I actually Same. I, I watched it with Adam and he literally was speechless he was so upset <laughs> I, honestly because I, I know I, I was able to see you when the rock swerved you before and you yeah. had your heart broken I didn't know this was coming I love Mark Henry and D'Lo Brown they're a nice fun loving tag team seeing this genuinely made me sad I was like you son of a bitch Mark Henry how fucking dare because it, it just felt like it was going right you know D'Lo was you know got the belts yeah. Mark was going to lose the weight we yeah. going to be happy it was going to be glorious but you fucked it up Mark you fucked it all up. Um, the next night, Double J would give Mark Henry the European title and keep the Intercontinental belt for himself. As payment. Which would be the only singles belt that Mark would hold until he held the ECW belt several years later. <laughs> so, a bit of a dread for, for Big Miz arc there. But yeah, Deborah, Jeff, and Mark Henry all celebrate together. The next night as well, uh, Double J would reveal uh, that he has bought a new secretary for Deborah, mm-hmm. which is Miss Kitty, who would go on to be Jerry Lawler's squeeze for some time. Wow, she's here now. Yeah, so we've got cool. this like Jeff Jarrett Enterprises Double J's got like a a basically a mini stable it seems awesome I wrote down here in relation to the complex feelings I felt towards Mark Henry turning on uh, on D'Lo Brown I said don't take mistake y'all made a mistake when you took my steak (laughs) fuck's sake is that a haiku (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm telling you (laughs) Baked potatoes can't keep a friendship alive. No. <laughs> Not in this business. <laughs> Billy, what did you think of this? I mean, just the I was, I was really shocked. This is probably why uh, Mark Henry, you know was not considered good or over for about 11 years after this <laughs> because he fucked D'Lo over. I like to think that, that, that this is the start of the, the end. The never healed. Yeah, that yeah. was it. It wasn't the weight. <laughs> <laughs> Backstage, Mickey C is with Edge and Christian. They talk tag team turmoil. Pretty okay stuff. Competent promo from the two of them. Certainly better than their uh, silence-breaking promo. Yeah, yeah, better than that. Still not great. I mean, Edge is still a little bit... yeah, kind of. He, he does the eyebrows. Did yeah, you that? his yeah. laugh's still a little bit... Heh, heh, heh. Uh, also, Christian says, the blood that spews will be their own. Spews. <laughs> it's time for a bloodbath. <laughs> yeah, they basically kind of discuss as well that like Gangrel is like being shite, so they outgrew him. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, but don't worry, Gangrel's only went and got himself two new boys. All right, it's time for tag team turmoil. The winner of this match will be the number one contenders for the tag team titles, currently held by Kane and Xbox. And we've got Royal Rumble style rules. So teams are going to enter once the team's eliminated, a new team come out. Starting us off, Edge and Christian coming through the crowd. I've got a massive nostalgia buzz from that. Yeah. Proper entrance, proper music, and everything. Yeah. yeah. Really awesome. It's actually Edge and Christian now. It's awesome. Exactly. And then uh, the Hardy Boys come out. Sorry. The new brood comes. How can it be new if it ended a month and a half ago? (laughs) The new brood. Um, Fuck what the hell? Me. Seriously? Like, Fred- Michael Hayes wasn't a decent fit. Okay, get rid of Michael Hayes. Here's a vampire. Make this one. <laughs> I wrote down here, Gangrel. He's no Lisa. <laughs> I mean, I also wrote down Gangrel. He's no Michael Hayes. Yeah. I mean, I really question this. This is shit pairing. This shouldn't have happened. Hardy Boy showed real fire, I thought, in the previous outing. Why turn them heel? And yeah. why turn them heel with the flimsiest excuse, which is... They've just thrown a guy to the curb going, right, we don't need anyone. This guy's holding us back. But this other guy... <laughs> He's got fans! Who did so well with the last two guys he was with. Yeah, seriously, Edge and Christian got rid of him because he was shit. So the Hardy Boys must be really fucking desperate if they're going to take on this reject from the brood. I, I want I want like Michael Hayes and Gangrel to battle it out. Oh, like... I, I want them to make a tag team. The rejects. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we always make the joke as well, which is if you put new in front of any tag team name... I'm sorry. Yeah. 
I'm, gonna I'm work. sorry new Dudleys is, I'm waiting for that to happen new, <laughs> new Dudleys Dudleys 2.0 like we've made a few changes can I just say as well tag team turmoil sounds like a really shit wrestling themed goosebumps book <laughs> <laughs> it's, just ga- it's a gauntlet match yeah. I'm calling it tag team turmoil I, I don't like, like that. that name they've, oh, thrown, like they've thrown turmoil around quite a bit uh, as uh, for tag teams you know mm. it's alliteration gang you know <laughs> uh, I was hoping the new brood were gonna break their silence it was forbidden by the Undertaker. <laughs> <laughs> what about my dog? Uh, nice action though to start us off. I mean, mm. the crowd don't buy the Hardys' as heels. They're really? they're reacting to this the same way they reacted, maybe you know, at um, King of the Ring. Really. I, don't, I don't blame them. The Hardys yeah. shouldn't be heels. Jeff is very impressive here, busting out some really unique offense, including a springboard Asahi moonsault. Mm. Very impressive. You weren't seeing stuff like that in the, in the WWF at the time. It was really amazing. Great teamwork spots as well. I mean, from both teams, again, this tag team style that's evolving, it's it's awesome to see. Yeah. You know, it's really good stuff. We got Swanton playing Jeff Hardy for the first time. Fucking beautiful. Awesome move. Yeah, really I good. love that move. This we're going to see a lot of that. Yeah, now. we're going to see a lot of those, but good lord, the hang time. It just, like, amazing the really amount of amazing. air he gets off it I mean I can only I suppose I mean the Hardys have been so banged up over the years All right, you know, Edge and Christian as well Yeah, it's nice to see them back here when they were fresh fresh yeah, yeah. Christian hits a double inverse DDT on both Hardys at one point really awesome then we get the hot tag to Edge who hits a spear off the barricade yeah. incredible so incredible that the cameras decide to nearly not show it yeah it was ridiculous. I should say that was a, a hot, hot tag on the Nando's sauce meter. Like, not, not very hot, but still hot nonetheless. Quite hot. You know, just, yeah. just I'd say, it. I like that this was actually took the form of an actual tag match. As yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, you know, as opposed to, oh, there are other guys coming out. I forgot about that. They weren't playing up to the gauntlet aspect, were yeah. they? And again, the crowd are really, really into this. Mm. Uh, it's amazing. Matt, Christian, and Edge all fly at one point going off to the outside. Really amazing. The finish comes and we get an electric chair drop and a top rope elbow from Edge and Christian and the Hardy Boys get eliminated. And then the next team come out. It's only Arbok and Weezing, <laughs> i.e. Midian and Viscera. Uh, <laughs> oh, Ross God. Pat is tag team. <laughs> Jim, Jim Ross goes, the pace is going to slow down here. No <laughs> shit. Like, JR also, when Viscera's coming down, he goes, look at the size of Viscera. <laughs> <laughs> he must be so sweaty as well in his bin bag. Yeah. Seriously, yeah, that's a proper sweatsuit right there, it's, isn't uh, it? It's, it's no good. Uh, just to point out, these guys, of course, they're one of the few remnants of the uh, corporate ministry. Shaming man the night after fully loaded. This is funny. Now, bear this in mind, folks. This was never, ever given us closure. Shaming man came out and he basically said so many words, I'm disbanding the corporate ministry for now. But he kind of gave this like jihad kind of vibe to it, which was that you're all going to you know, sit and waiting until that one faithful day. When you don't expect when it. When you don't expect it. Yeah. And then Shane McMahon will come out and be all like, yeah. <laughs> and he was basically implying that, oh, don't worry. You know, don't you we'll cry. We'll meet again someday. Uh-uh. I'm just looking, waiting for some like 50-year-old Shane McMahon to come back to the company and be like, surprise, Dad! You better change your strategy. <laughs> yeah. Median just like, you know, here's the trumpet being called and runs away from <laughs> whatever sushi restaurant he is currently working in. <laughs> Former King of the Ring Viscera beats Daniel Christian. <laughs> I, sorry, I, I didn't even laugh then because I actually forget that Viscera is a former King of the Ring. Yes. That's insane to me. Bow to King Mabel. Edge tags in, gets a heel kick from Viscera. Very I, impressive maneuver. Yeah, it was very, a rolling heel kick. I was very impressed with that. I didn't think I'd, I'd get to see him move so quickly. Quite impressive. Viscera essentially double teams himself as he runs into the corner. Edge spears Midian and that's it. The two lads are gone. See you later, alligator. Next day, it's Draws and Prince Albert. 
Living the gimmick, these guys here. Draws with zany new ring attire. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, haven't seen these guys for ages. First time seeing Albert in the ring as well. Big fan of Albert, actually. Of course, he had the tattooing gimmick going yeah. on at the time. They at one point tried to pierce uh, Val Venus using their tools. But Val got the upper hand and put his name on Albert's bum. Ah, right. As a tattoo. As a tattoo. Such Russo writing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, seriously. They're gonna give you the tattoo, <laughs> and you're gonna be sad because it's on your bum. You know, <laughs> it, it, it's it's so ridiculous. Never gets referred to ever again. Uh, it's it's kind of silly. All right, offense from these guys here. It's pretty clear who's gonna be going over in this one. Yeah. yeah. What are your thoughts on Albert seeing him in the ring for the first time? I'll be honest, I've never been a fan of Albert. Even as a kid, I've never, ever been keen on him. He's just never, ever appealed to me. He's always been boring. The whole His gimmick is he pierces things. Just, I've never I love his it. intensity, though, when he's in the ring, kind of going, yes, yes, yes. You know, yeah, he, he gets in some good offense every now and then. He'll do like a really, really powerful, sore-looking move. He does a, kind of a torture rack into a neck breaker in this match, which was very impressive. He certainly can wrestle, but it's just something about the whole package just doesn't work for me. I can't buy into it. What Billy, you, what do you think of Sweet Tea? I'm in the um, yeah. I'm not going to call him Albert. I, I said, I've, I've said it before he's, he's tense. So I don't know. I, I'm kind of in between with bo- uh, with both of you because there's aspects of him I, I do quite like. He's he's a good wrestler, but at the same time, I think it is a bit of a shit gimmick. Yeah, well, maybe over time, so, over time because I know that he's going to be around for a while. Yes, and then disappear, then come back again, and then so I, I like I know that I'm going to have time to get used to him. So mm. he may grow on me uh, more through that way. Mate, wait till he's in the X Factor, then you'll really like him. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, Draws and Prince Albert get eliminated as soon as Edge hits the downward spiral. Edge and Christian, unbelievably, get the pinfall, as I said, and Jim Ross is like, oh my god, these young kids are on fire, you know, three teams eliminated. Yeah. Oh, fuck me, it is the acolytes. Uh-oh. And they brought a sack of potatoes with them. <laughs> fuck me. I feel so bad for Edge and Christian. Like, everyone in this tag match, with the exception of Viscera and Midian, they're all could be considered by the acolytes to be young blood. Yeah. Mm. Everyone in this is like a victim. And they're going to tear them apart. Yeah, acolytes, of course, had lost their tag belts to Kane and Xbox on Raw. And again, they're just continually being put over as these like absolute brick shithouses. And it's pretty easy to believe it. Because straight away, it's just boom, powerbomb, boom, clattering edge in the corner. Bradshaw's doing these chops. Oh. Right on the nipple. Yeah. So loud. Right on the, on the softness of the nipple. <laughs> what a monster. Oh, good lord. The Dominator gets reversed. Then we get a tag to Christian. Amazing near fall on Bradshaw after a tornado DDT is hit. The Hollies appear. They just come out. Yeah. Um, Come out way some, too early. Something's done it wrong there. I know. Geez, way to spoil your fucking debut in the podcast, Crash. But anyway, <laughs> clothesline from hell and uh, Edgy Christian. See you later. Oh, awful thing to see here. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, here we go. The Holly Cousins. The big shot hardcore Holly felt that it was necessary to bring in his cousin Crash, who was also super heavyweight. But not a big shot. <laughs> Crash is so little. I know. He's, he's such amazing. a little man. He's adorable, isn't he? Little Elroy Jetson, Jericho yeah. goes on the column. Absolutely love it. I love it so much. Because here's a guy, I mean, Crash Holly, he'd been around, you know, um, on the indies for fucking ages. You know, he's well regarded. But he's a guy who's like he's, he needed a, he needed something he needed a gimmick to be brought in. So many guys always just got brought in as like you know Barry Bones you know with their plain trunks and they're from fucking Minnesota and they all look the same. But here he is. He's Crash Holly. He's a cousin of an existing character. Brilliant. He's mm. got a character straight away small man syndrome, which is amazing because he thinks he's over four hundred pounds, which makes 
in even more ridiculous than Bob. <laughs> and he's they're, they're cousins, but they can't stop fighting. It's brilliant. It's, it's such a good brilliant. dynamic, isn't it? It's I love absolutely it. Absolutely hilarious. Of course, it doesn't maybe translate that well into a scientific match because what we get here is the two of them just like tagging each other in and just going ape shit. And against the acolytes, it doesn't translate. I don't think. Yeah, you can't do the whole dysfunctional thing with them. The other thing I don't like as well is because obviously um, now there's two of them. The commentators can't call Bob Holly Holly anymore. Yeah. So they start calling him hardcore, and that just doesn't. It's like calling the Ultimate Warrior Ultimate in these matches. Like Ultimate hits the close. Line or whatever. Come it's, back here, Ulto. I got something to say to you. Yeah, right? yeah. they're not going to call him Bob anymore either. Yeah. So, mm. yeah, I have to say, Crash Holly takes some licks in this one as well. He surprise, From surprise everyone. He is the only one who gets a dominator. Oh. I think in the year of 1999 <laughs> on pay per view, the Hollies keep arguing, but we get a spine buster onto Hardcore Holly. Acolytes win. I've got themselves a number one contendership. Uh, next night on Raw, they're going to take on the winners of the tag title match for tonight. I enjoyed this match. Great match. Really, I, it, really enjoyed match. Petered this match. off at the end with the Hollies facing off with the Acolytes but I kind of forgave it because I was so like overly enamoured with you know, seeing yeah. the Hollies together it was a real shame I thought that Edge and Christian didn't win because I'd, I'd say they deserved it at that point exactly, just from watching yeah. those, th- th- those three mini matches early days at this point but yeah, yeah obviously still. you can tell even though just from remember we said King of the Ring fully loaded it's like you know, given the time the crowd will, will like these Edge and Christian guys and they, they are the crowd it's happening, so yeah. warm to them and they haven't really got a strong gimmick and they're not strong in the mic they're over because they're having good matches yeah. and fucking A it's, it's nice to see also as well can't say enough awesome things about Crash Holly fucking love him and we got a lot to come with Crash yes. you won't believe how crazy over this man gets that's all I'll say for now backstage <laughs> Big Show and Undertaker arrive so obviously we were laughing a lot straight it away yeah. stupid I mean because they're dressed up silly now aren't they yeah. yeah just waddling in you could see the BSK tattoo on, on the Undertaker Bone Street crew or are they big shite cunts <laughs> <laughs> But we uh, we threw it out to the tutors or the glad gay community. For God's sake, the glad gay community. For God's sake, an AJ Styles reference on the podcast. Ludicrous. The glad gay. Enough. <laughs> but uh, we asked for people on Twitter and on Facebook to come up with some captions for who these men are arriving because they look ridiculous. Because Big Show's wearing a little shirt and That's he's terrible. stupid. All right, here we go. Potato Wedge and Christian arrive to the arena. <laughs> <laughs> the first contestants for the Penn Gillette Lookalike contest arrive. <laughs> Jim Morrison and his older, balder, fatter son arrive. <laughs> the Stroke and Choke connection. Big Casserole and Big Trailer Park arrive. <laughs> Penn and Sweller arrive. <laughs> Brilliant! <laughs> The hairy bikers arrive. (laughs) (laughs) The burger takers arrive. Fuck's sake. Oh, here's another one of mine. You two arrive. (laughs) Fucking hell. (laughs) The blubbers of destruction arrive. (laughs) The world's largest golfer and Jeffrey Lebowski arrive. Beefy and the Beast arrive. <laughs> Beefy and the Beast! Jesus Chronic have let themselves go. Oh, God. The Big John Virgo fan club arrive. <laughs> and last but not least, my favourite one, the Big Shots featuring Big Shot Hardcore Holly, who was a Big Shot arrive. <laughs> Bob's not there. Uh, thanks very much for those ones. Thank you for... Brilliant. Uh, we'll do more of those if people like them. Um, but yeah, Big Shot Undertaker arrive. They look silly, I they thought. They look ridiculous. I thought yeah. that was worth a side note. <laughs> Women, I think these guys are tough guys. Oh, they are. They're not just tough guys, Adam. They're an unholy alliance. Ugh. Backstage, Al Snow, who is all calm again, thanks to the calming influence of his new BFF and confidant, 
Pepper the Chihuahua! You've got to calm down. What? You're losing patches of fur, for God's sakes. Look at this. Looks like you got mange. I know you're scared. Yes, I know. I remember what Boss Man said. Well, he said he'd get me and my little dog, too. So what? What is? I gotta send flying monkeys after us. Big deal. Just get a grip, all right? I know you're scared. Just calm down. Don't be ridiculous. It is not one of the signs of the apocalypse when he starts quoting lines from Judy Garland. Now, when he starts singing like Ethel Merman, then you gotta worry, all right? Get a grip! Billy, I've got to know your thoughts on this. I imagine, I just imagine you sat there watching it and when Pepper came on screen, like a big smile comes on your face. <laughs> it's amazing, he's, he's, he's happy again. Yeah. I, it's so distressing to see him last month. Yeah. He's so happy, so so different from last month. And he's just quoting the Wizard of Oz at the dock. Yeah. yeah! And the big boss man is the Wicked uh, Witch of the West now, for some reason. Fittingly so. <laughs> boss man and his love of flying monkeys coming back to catch him here. Basically, Al Snow challenging later on for the Hardcore Championship. He's looking to reclaim the belt. He lost the King of the Ring. But yeah, more on that later. Back to the ring. A dealer arrives. Sorry. Road dog Jesse James makes his appearance. Comes out wearing my year 8 PE kit. Yeah, the DX colours of white. Just white. <laughs> the fashion. The fanny pack. The Tommy Hill figure. The socks. What the fuck is going on? Seriously. What is he wearing? He looks really stupid. Does he realise that he's like spent the past year Even or so? Even for 1999 he looks stupid. <laughs> he's spent the past year defining this look where he's got, you know, the black vest and the black pants and the green all over it. He's got this very well defined look and he's done the exact opposite of it for no discernible reason. I'm not gonna briggity briggity brizend myself. <laughs> Can he, uh, he Austin WrestleMania 15'd it? Yeah, basically. Left, his kids. <laughs> Left yeah. all his clothes at home. Shame on him. Uh, fuck me. But anyway, yeah, Road Dog is on the mic and oh, he is upset because he is not booked. And let me tell you, there's nothing I hate more than the angle where the only thing you can come up with for a guy to come out is complain how you don't have anything for him. Yeah. It's lazy. Yeah. I hate it. Oh, I'm not booked tonight. Well, you are now. You know, I hate it so much. It makes it it shows your hand that you have nothing for someone. Mm. But it doesn't even result in Road Dog getting booked tonight, this doesn't he's he like, just... he wants oh I want the winner of the hardcore match. Why? You're not gonna get him either. Yeah, it's just like it, it's crazy. He's like, why? What's the logic? Where's the motive? But thank goodness our savior arrives to interrupt Mr. Dog. Y2J is here! I mean, I didn't think it was possible for the WWF to top the tediousness of Raw is Snore, but they have done so with this ridiculous ripoff of a pay-per-view that I call Summer Sham. And the worst thing of all is, you people got conned into wasting your money and now you all look like a bunch of fools! I mean, look at the boring list of matches featuring a bunch of useless performers, the worst of which is standing in the ring right now! I mean, Road Dog, don't you get it? Don't you understand? Nobody cares about you. I mean, listen to this embarrassingly silent reaction that these people are giving you right now.
I mean, thank you, thank you. I mean, you think you could come out here and impress people by spelling your name R-O-A-D-D-O-double-G? You want to impress me? Spell lugubrious! A bit of a step down from The Rock. Little yeah. bit. And also Undertaker and Big Show, who we also interrupted. More on that later. But uh, yeah, here he is. He calls SummerSlam Summer Sham. Brilliant. I was going to say he should have called it Slumber Slam. I was going to say Slumber Slam as well, yeah. Basically calling the product boring, saying all the people are hating what they're seeing. They think that he said Road Dog is the least entertaining. It was great. It yeah. was, this must have been a cathartic for you, Billy. Oh, yeah, it was great. He was making you know, making fun of Road Dog, you know, his gimmick essentially being he likes to spell. Yeah. And he says, you want to impress me? Spell lugubrious. And, yeah, it's a fairly smart promo. It is. Which... which made it all the more better because when obviously because it's the way that promos like this work Road Dog talks Jericho talks that means Road Dog's going to talk again so what's Road Dog going to say when it comes to this he just he just goes uh, hey why, why didn't you why didn't you shut up and says suck it and he wins yeah. Chris Jericho pulls a face he's Jer- like oh he got me there Jericho does the chuntering like you know good motherfucker he got me <laughs> I like you wouldn't mind like Jericho really castrates him here he buries him he calls him dyslexic <laughs> he goes well you come out here wearing stupid clothes and your Stevie Wonder haircuts <laughs> <laughs> serious burial going on yeah he, he runs him down you know say what you will about the man and his lack of r- r- retort there but I like this road dog kid you know uh He's got a little something, you know, he's got a little, uh, I like the fire in this young kid. You know, give him 15 years, a little little seasoning. He'll make a good tag team champion. For everyone asking what we think about Road Dog being a tag team champion in in 2014, that is basically it. Pretty much. Disguised in a a, a joke. Figure that one out. Oh, great. Road Dog says he's going to join commentary. Oi. This ought to be good. Al leaves Pepper backstage and heads out. It's time for our hardcore championship match. Al Snow taking on the big boss man. I liked uh, Al Snow's Peppertron. Did you yes. see that? Mm. Just kind of a flash of Pepper. Pepper <laughs> mouthing along all of his, his lyrics. It says got Pepper instead of got head. It's brilliant. brilliant. Al nips up. He kind of waits in the uh, in he the hides behind the corner of the ramp, mm. doesn't he? Yeah. Big boss man then comes out and he gets pounced on by Al Snow. And you know straight away, you're in for it. You're in for a big backstage. Not even scroll. going towards the ring anymore. No, <laughs> not even close. Nowhere near it. They go straight backstage, and Rodog says he's gonna go and follow them because you know you're obviously thinking the writers. Rodog, he walks out with a microphone, quick on his feet, a witty sort. Why not have him kind of do you know him there going, oh look, that was that was really silly and all that, you know. I tell you, it was fucking rubbish. Yeah, yeah. obviously I, I, had nothing prepared. Oh god, I'm sorry your material didn't arrive with your clothes, Morodog. But come on, if you're standing in on live pay per view, looking at the camera with a microphone, going, oh, <laughs> oh hit him, Al, hit him, hit him. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, it's not just the fact that it's Road Dog though. This whole idea is shit anyway. It doesn't matter if you're The Rock. He could be the most charismatic man in wrestling. To have two guys brawling and then some dude stood behind him with a microphone going, Duh, just watching. It's stupid. Immediately, they're going backstage. And I don't know if you picked up on this, Billy. But um, we just hear the sound of someone getting put through a table. And it cuts backstage and Road Dog is there. And he just goes, that was fake. How, how dare Fucking you? Hell. How dare you? You use that word. You use that word. Use the F word. I'll tell you what, you should never been broken in the business, Road Dog Jesse James. You should, because I'm not fake. My father's not fake. I'm not going to name names, but Road Dog Jesse James, 
You should have never been broken in this business. <laughs> should have never been broken. Now, I know we like to indulge <laughs> in obscure jokes from time to time, but generally, please reach out to us on Twitter at AE Podcast and tell us if you got that. I'm very intrigued to know <laughs> if anyone gets that joke. Give me a free DVD, Kayfabe Commentaries. There's a hint. <laughs> Alrighty, Big Boss Man. He only goes and does something awful now because it's time for another bit of Big Boss Man behaving badly. Here he goes, Big Boss Man behaving badly. He only hits Al Snow with Pepper's case and then throws it away. Just chucks her away. We're meant to believe Pepper is in this case the entire time. If I was a kid watching this, I would have been horrified. Because you see his cute little chihuahua and I was like, hey, he's my new best friend. And then Boss Man's just tossing it around, killing it. Animal cruelty. For fuck's sake. Awkward dog Jesse James. He's fucking standing there. So awkward. Really bad. Big boss man takes out his frustrations on a Pepsi cabinet. Destroys that thing. Unbelievable. Papa tries to push it over onto the snow. He tries to do You know I'm a coke man! Al Snow summons the gate to be opened and here we are at the great outdoors. Good lord in heaven. The guys start fighting outside across the street into a patio like They're just yeah. fighting in the street. There's it, people just people just walking around and saying, What the fuck is this? It, they really have just kind of immediately kind of go, How far can we go? Yeah. As in actually just distance, how far can we go from the arena? I'm hoping at some point in a few pay-per-views down the line we're going to see like Bossman and Al Snow getting onto a plane together (laughs) (laughs) end up in Barbados or something but yeah the action takes place in a bar next and of course awkward dog Jesse James follows them in third wheel Al mounts a comeback and then tends to a beautiful lady at the bar what a a nice he's a nice little nice 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 guy there head into the bathroom and the uh, gross out moment of the evening comes when Al gets a urinal cake no absolutely not too far mate that is way too far I, I'm all for extreme wrestling and stuff like that but there's certain things that I can't stomach and that's one of them you shouldn't be using that <laughs> shit they fucking rubbing urinal cakes in each other's face and they, they stumble out of the bathroom and boss says there was fucking gut hanging out like <laughs> fucking grotesque Al gets a chain from a patron and then at one point hits a moonsault off, off the, the bar, bar. Yeah. incredible unbelievable such a small little space to do a moonsault in and he does it perfectly and we get a small altercation between Bossman and Road Dog, which leads to Road Dog clattering Bossman with his own nightstick Al Snow takes a page out of John Virgo's book and takes a big break with the snooker balls. <laughs> <laughs> and here you are, Adam, all these months later going, oh, Kevin, wrestling's nothing to do with big break. Al gets the fucking pin right on the felt. Right on the felt. <laughs> the pinfall will take place on a snooker table. <laughs> this is the shit Jesse Ventura's going on about. Yeah. He, he proper banged his head, though, when he when he stood yeah. up after the bit. The proper went into the small little lights above the, uh, yeah. the snooker table. Al Snow wins. New hardcore champion, Yay. and he's got quite a jog ahead of him. This, this time. Be the longest light jog yet. It's broken up as uh, on the way. It seems it's never really clarified what's happening, but it looks like the Blue Meanie, one of our all-time faves on the podcast, uh, who's joined by a debuting on the podcast, Mister Stevie Richards. Yeah, but it seems like they're kidnapping Pepper. Which straight yeah, away, why? I'm like. I don't trust these guys. Al goes ballistic and beats the bejesus out of the two of them. Mm. He hulks out, doesn't he? Yeah. Big time. Two of them, of course, were just, you know, continuing their ECW tradition of just being creeps, basically. (laughs) They've been doing this and that, you know, they weren't really getting anything solid. One thing the two of them were doing at this point, though, and I suppose it's, I always like picking up on weird shit that gets forgotten about, but the Blonde Bitch Project... 
What is this? I have no idea what this is. It was a segment which there was only one of them ran, I believe, but there were several of them filmed. I know they actually were definitely filmed, but it was fan footage, vignettes, like the Blair Witch Project. Yeah. And it was Meanie and Stevie going around, like, oh, what's, what's, what's going on? Look, Bonehead, when we had in your house and I was on Matt Johnson, you couldn't touch me. Enough of this. I'm going to watch some TV. What are you watching, anyway? Commercial for that scary movie, Three Kids Going to Look at Oh, oh, oh the true story. That ain't a true story. That ain't even a true legend. But if you want to hear about true legend, psst, here. Have you heard a legend of the blonde bitch? Blonde bitch? Rumor has it, it happened right here in the woods of Ames, Iowa. I say we get our cameras, go out in the woods, and dig up the dirt in this legend. Okay, let's go. Let's go. Come on, come on. Oh, jeez. Oh, my neck. And it never got picked up on because apparently Vince McMahon was like, what the hell is this segment? And like, oh, Vince, you're gonna love it. The Blair Witch Project, but we's gonna bury that bitch Sable. And uh, yeah, that was the oh plan. Oh my God. Vince had never heard of Blair Witch Project, so scrapped it completely. Thank Christ. But apparently it was going to end with Meanie going into a house in the woods and going downstairs and Stevie was going to be there in Sable's old ring gear. I'd oh, love to see this. I wouldn't. That sounds like the stuff of nightmares. Oh. I'm telling you, man. If Russo was the man who penned this, talk about being torn. Yeah. Torn between your love of ridiculous pop culture will be out of style and out of favour in 10 seconds. Before the camera cools down, this will be stale. Yeah. Torn between doing that and burying Sable. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. a, it's a tough one. But yeah, Blonde Bitch Project. Overall, got to say, I really, really loved this match, though. The, uh, yeah, yes. really enjoyed it. One of the best it. hardcore brawls we've had to date on yeah. the podcast. I love this match. I thought that it was missing that extra layer that we got at the previous pay-per-view. It almost felt like the last pay-per-view that that brawl we had because it had those extra elements. The psychology of Albion. Yeah, it, 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 but again, it was they didn't break any new ground in this one, I suppose. But you know what? I, I'm still watching them, and I'm still finding these fun. I'm just happy we got a barroom brawl. It felt like a proper Smackdown 2 kind yeah. of thing going on there. I was looking for Al Snow to jump off a helicopter, but sadly just, not in this one. Shame that uh, Road Dog ruined it. Yeah, Road Dog. What's Serious third wheel. I ruined it. Like, it's it's a biased opinion for me, really. But yeah, it? I mean, they're kind of going, hey, Billy, here's this match. We're going to ruin it for you. Like, you know. <laughs> I actually should say, I wrote down one thing that Road Dog said. Obviously, he said, fuck all. You know, This, just to give you guys listening uh, an idea of the quality of the stuff Road Dog was saying. Someone got hit on the head of the beer bottle, and Road Dog said, well, that beer bottle messed with his noodle, says D-O-double-G the poodle. Boo! Seriously. Get off the wrestling. <laughs> Take your fucking shitty clothes and go home. Good God. Alrighty, backstage, Jesse Ventura is there with the micker. Guess what he talks about? Yeah. The pinfall will take place in the ring. <laughs> Who'd have thunk it? I'll be honest, I think now's the time to mention this. This, to me, was making me, because I automatically, whenever something gets built up in wrestling, I think, well, it's going to be the opposite of that then. I'm thinking, Jesse Ventura is going to do a swerve, and the, the, the main event is going to end outside the ring, surely. <laughs> he goes on about it in such great detail. At length. Seriously. Mm. All right, women's championship on the line. How is the world of women's wrestling faring after the loss of the crown and the jewel herself? Sable no longer with us, so uh, now Ivory has taken up the mantle. Yeah. Ivory, now the women's champion, which you have to say, fucking hell, that's a, that's a nice change of pace. Breath of fresh air. They still don't know how to write a uh, female wrestling storyline, though. No. There's the storyline for this being, Ivory wrote slut and skank on Tori. Women's wrestling! Spoiler alert, Billy, they're never going to get the hang of that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I don't know, maybe in like 2000 with some of the stuff at Lita, it's more based and kind of 
I want to win as opposed to the hair, the yeah. hair. <laughs> you know, because um, soon as I saw Ivory come out with, you know, with the belt, I'm like, oh shit, here we go. Golden age of women's wrestling. And then I saw the recap and then I saw her opponent, which is fucking Tori. Yeah. I don't care what you say, she's fucking greener than goose shit still. Mm. And uh, yeah, it looks like, I'm sorry, Ivy's great, but I don't think she's capable of rising above both a no. really backwards just come on women riding skank on each other in makeup as well I mean Ugh. this is the definition of sexist like, seriously isn't it seriously. is that the best you can do mm. really unimaginative you know yay Ivory nonetheless uh, they basically positioned her as being Satan in this match those Tory kicks have you seen her kicks in this match <laughs> Mm-hmm. See, the only person I know who does, who does a kick by keeping her hands completely at her side, like she's standing to attention in the upper part of her body. This is a leg goes, eh. It's like an action figure being yeah, kicked. Yeah, so right kick action. We get a sign. Yeah, we actually see this sign for the remainder of the night because it's right in front. It says, I poop too much. So that's the only really thing of note hey, I hey. wrote down during this match, really. <laughs> hey, we all poop too much, man. Yeah. That um, and that Pepper's okay, apparently. Good. Yeah, yeah. we get told that Pepper's all right. Glad to hear that. that is, that's, that's good. Anyway, Reassuring. That was, yeah, I, I'm going to take him back to Big Boss and behaving badly because at the time it was still very worrying. But still, uh, Ivory is trying in this match. When she's on offense, it's competent. But, like, Tori's still fucking rubbish at selling. And then you get this take it off chat from the crowd and I'm like I'm so I wanted so much to be like yay women's wrestling but no sorry this not match yet. awful spear by Tori Ugh. JR tries to put it over though he says an edge like spear from Boo. Tori to which King immediately says and I never thought I'd agree with something that King yeah. says JR must be having problems with his eyesight because he clearly <laughs> fucking is he thinks that was an edge like spear good on you King <laughs> did you guys see the alley oop Ugh, yeah. hate that move. You know a move is bad when you like make sure no one has it in a wrestling game? Yeah. I remember you used to actually like find anyone who would have it in SmackDown and change it because the move was so displeasing to my <laughs> eyes. You know a move is bad when it's got a name like the Alley-oop. Yeah, that's true. Unbelievable. The one cool spot we get in this is Ivory does the Antonio Cesaro big swing. Oh, yeah! yeah. And uh, my favourite thing about this isn't the swing itself, but right before she does it, she uh, grabs Tori's legs and goes, You're ready for the big swing! You ready for the big swing? And then starts swinging around. <laughs> oh my god, I'm I gotta get wings! <laughs> <laughs> Sunset flip with a botch. Ivory wins. Ugh. Immediately tries to pants Tori. Yeah. Seriously, Ivory. Yeah. Ivory's that. supposed to be like the, the one who's sort of trying to break out of this sort of thing. Yeah. And she's pantsing and trying to rip off. It's ridic- yeah, ridiculous. it's ridiculous because it's like they're like, "Hey, take off your opponent's clothes when you're done, right? Quick, will you?" So, you know, like, the, 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 the thing I like <laughs> the most about it though is that, uh, that Ivory doesn't succeed in undoing the bra, but when it cuts to Tori, the bra is undone, so she, which is clearly yeah, been done by Tori herself. herself. She's got gimmicked clothes on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ivory gets run off by Luna. She just comes out of nowhere. Glad yeah. to see yeah. Luna again. Nice see it. Hey, give us Luna and Ivory on a paper, please. Yeah. For God's sake, you know. And maybe I don't know, not have them write with mascara on each other you know <laughs> just just an idea run yeah. up to head office see how it runs off backstage Mickey C is with The Rock who insists on interviewing Michael Cole how about The Rock interview you how about that Jabroni how about an interview with the great one you're going one on one with the great one The Rock has yeah nice tie 13 cents don't look at the tie look at The Rock The Rock says this he sees the way you look at The Rock for the past three years The Rock just wants to know this are you a little kumsi kumsa it doesn't matter if you are Kumsi or Kumsa or not. 
the fact of the matter is this, is that it is Sunday, SummerSlam, and it's game day. So The Rock says this, you think that he cares about Billy Gunn's surprises? The Rock says it's going to be no surprise. In approximately 45 minutes, you're going to hear The Rock's music. Do you smell what The Rock is cooking? And every single Rock fan is going to stand on their feet, electricity running through their body, and you can hear them now. Shut your mouth and listen. Rocky, Rocky. And when it's all said and done, all the smoke is cleared, all the dust is settled, the millions of the Rock fans are through chanting his name. Two things, rock bottom, wham. One, people's elbow, wham. The Rock going on, still the people's champ, still the people's choice. If you smell what the Rock Is cooking. I thought this was awesome. Hilarious, yeah, really, usual. really funny. He, he called his tie, was like, what was it, 13 cents? Yeah, yeah, getting lower and lower the numbers now. Unbelievable. Talking about basically, he's taking on tonight the 1999 King of the Ring, Billy Gunn. Yeah. He's, he's got somebody under a sheet. Yes, Billy Gunn wandering backstage has got a great big surprisement for us all. Who is this going to be? Jim Cornell always says that if it comes out of a box, it's over. Yeah. I'm adding to that addendum. If there's a blanket over it, it's going to be shit on immediately. <laughs> Name me something that came out with a blanket on it that was that was over. Oh, the higher power got booed straight away. Yeah, so that that's a not a blanket. That is a velour robe. That was that was so a blanket. <laughs> Coming up next, the lion's den. It's finally come to a head. Ken Shamrock, the lethal weapon, Steve Blackman. We get a, a recap of the, this feud getting more ridiculous. It's bizarre, I and mean, Ken's got his John Cena like jorts on as well. Yeah, yeah. Just, just blatantly John Cena right now. <laughs> I, say, I say that because John Cena was clearly before Ken Shamrock. Obviously, obviously. Mate, if you're gonna call out people for wearing jorts in 1990s, is basically ECW is John Cena. Then <laughs> <laughs> we do actually get at one point a little known uh, fact: uh, Steve Blackman ran over Ken Shamrock in this feud at one point in a jeep. Jesus. That one doesn't get very fondly remembered. No, but, um, yikes. Yeah, kind of kind of crazy. So, Blackman had thrown down the gauntlet. The challenge in this was Lion's Den match. Shamrock's specialty. But weapons, which is Blackman's specialty. Mm. And in Blackman's own words, this has to end one way or another. <laughs> <laughs> um... I don't know. Were you feeling? Were you feeling this at the start? Kind of thinking. Oh, I mean, Shamrock pretty much resoundingly killed Blackman in the last match. And yeah, the, yeah. In the true. Iron Circle Ring of Rent-A-Cars match. Well, more than anything, I was just quite surprised because I mean, like, I, I thought the Lion Circle. Would... <laughs> Sorry, Lion Circle. Oh my circle. god, Lion Circle, where they're all surrounded by lions <laughs> with cars and like, yeah. banging on, <laughs> banging on lions. There's Viscera dressed up like a lion. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Shaman just picks up Crash Holly, like, you know. No, I thought the Lion's Den was like a one off affair, and then I saw it on one of the Raws recently where Shamrock tried to fight Vince in the yeah. Lion's Den. And now we're getting another one here. I didn't realize it was such a reoccurring match. It's quite cool. Yeah, we've got a few times. Yeah, it was kind of. It was basically playing off the fact that most of the paying audience didn't know what an octagon actually looked like, <laughs> including the people who designed the Lion's Den, apparently. What was it again, Billy? The shape? Uh, it's the Crystal Maze. That is oh, not a shape. A, a dodecahedron, I think. Yeah, your best of shapes. My, it's my best of shapes. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> kind of goes back and forth, starting off Blackman has got nunchucks, then Ken has nunchucks. 
you know, the, this gimmick of the matches, they just keep going for these different weapons which are placed above the ring. Again, the limitations of the Lion's Den are severe. Mm. And I'm a big fan of Mr. Blackman. I've said so many times. But uh, C. Blackman ain't own heart no, in that really ring. Not. And the match runs out of steam quite quickly. Yeah. And you can tell because, I mean, the crowd just aren't really behind us. Yeah. We get Jerry the King Lawler's decapitation reference of the night. Another one. Another one. recurring segment. I'm hoping it is. But he says (laughs) that he he hopes one of the weapons at the top of the lines then is a guillotine. Jesus. Fuck me. A huge guillotine just comes down. Because he's a king, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, kings in order to use the... I've never been to Memphis. I can't comment on the judicial judicial system. But yeah, you know, they get the various weapons. And I was just like... I touched it in this match. I was like, it's gimmick overload. Anytime you take a gimmick and a match and then add another one in, like, it's a steel cage first blood match or it's a ladder strap match. It's like, yeah. give, let the gimmicks breathe. Mm. I can hardly taste that strap match in there because you've got, you know, <laughs> I can't, the, the lion's den is overpowered by the weapons. I would like to like, see an Inferno strap match. Inferno strap. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they, as I said, the crowd really aren't into it. A really awkward finish where Blackman is working over uh, Shamrock for a while, and he's just hesitating. He's got the you know, kendo stick. He just waits for ages. Taking it easy on him almost. And it really hurts as well when Jerry Lawler and Jim Ross unanimously just go, whoa, wow, Blackman is stupid. He's not hitting him. Yeah. I mean, it really makes, it makes him look no stupid. Sense. The men have like this big, bad blood feud and everything, and this is going to be the you know the end of the feud. Some lethal weapon he is. Like. Yeah, yeah. just going to stand there and watch him. And really weird, Shamrock just kind of you know gets his wind, you know, hits a Billy to back suplex. And then he hits with a candlestick, and it just ends. They call for the yeah. bell. That's it. Now, during the match, Lawler and, and JR are both saying that, oh, you can win by escape. I'm like, no, you can't. No. And they never went to the calling for the door and all this. But Shamrock just lays him out, and he just stands there. The bell rings, and he climbs up to the, the upper part of it, yeah. onto the balcony. And Jim Ross goes, Ken Shamrock has won. Ken Shamrock has escaped. They clearly hadn't even thought about the finish before. If you're going to beat Blackman several times in a row, at least give Ken a clean victory here. Give him, make a tap him out. What's the yeah. deal? Like, I mean, he's, he's obviously lost. Such a bullshit yeah. ending. Do you want to hear something really sad? Oh, Actually checking ahead, even though he's in storylines up until the next pay-per-view, this is the last pay-per-view appearance no. of one Mr. Ken Shamrock no. on the podcast. Fuck! He'll be involved with a feud with Jericho shortly thereafter. Jericho's about to face with the next pay-per-view. We never see that match. The last match he has was a first blood match against Jericho, or like Jericho was wearing like hockey gear. Yeah. And you know, they took advantage of his internal injuries and he like did body splashes on him wearing the hockey gear and Shamrock starts coughing up blood. And uh, that's it, Shamrock's done. Um, he's gone. Oh, and you know, it, oh, to this day, you know, uh, no Ken Shamrock. That's it. You know, he's gone. It's really, really sad. God, I was not expecting that. That's I know. I, I wanted to swerve you a little bit. What a, a bullshit way for him to end on paper. This is his last paper. It's match. his last paper match, and I, it was okay, but it was. Eh. It wasn't as good as the previous Lions End match, and it wasn't as good as his previous match with Blackman. Yeah. I mean, we'll do this with characters we think really kind of had impact with us and I think Shamrock is definitely on that I mean you were you familiar with Shamrock much before we started the podcast no uh, I'd seen a couple of Shamrock matches and promos here and there but um, I always knew Steve Blackman more than I knew Shamrock yeah. so it's quite weird actually I, I remember loving Steve Blackman as a kid and you know not knowing much about Shamrock whereas now I absolutely adore Ken Shamrock and 
Steve Blackman, I, I, th- I still think he's really, really cool. His best stuff is yet to come. I was going to say, yeah, he hasn't reached the Shamrock levels yet of being that killer guy. Yeah, we've we've seen a lot with Shamrock, though, haven't yeah. we? I mean, yeah. King's been for a lot. Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, what, I mean, overall, I mean, your final words on Shamrock. Are you sad to see him go? What do you think? I'm, very, I'm very sad to see him go. He's very talented, and yeah. didn't get really what he was due. I don't think. No, no went back not. to UFC, had a couple of big money fights. Where he got the big money knocked the fuck out of him. Oh. You know, I mean, we're not really a UFC podcast, not really going to discuss that. Bar one brief appearance with TNA at the start of that company when they were still doing weekly pay per views. Uh, Ken Shamrock has been more or less gone from the world of wrestling ever since. He's been making kind of sad attempts to get back recently, yeah, which is tweet, really upsetting. Tweeting at Vince. Tweeting Vince. I'm sorry. That's, that, yeah. that upsets me. I I do think there is, there is value and there's a role for someone like Shamrock still, but I have to say, Growing up, one of my favourites, and I was always worried, well, a lot of guys kind of going, shit, if they're my favourites growing up, I'm going to ruin them by doing this podcast. Yeah. And I think Shamrock, by and large, holds up. And, definitely. Uh, King of the Ring match, definitely. You know, King of the Ring, King of the Ring 98, awesome story. Triple threat, you know, him in the cage with uh, Rock and Mankind, awesome stuff as well. Shamrock had a lot of great outings. We mm. saw him as a face, we saw him as a heel. Yeah. I think... You'll never be as cool as that first time we saw him killing refs at WrestleMania 14. That mm. was, yeah, that was probably him at his most badass, I think, was when he was just like throwing referees left, right, yeah. and center mm. and wouldn't stop screaming. Because that was my first exposure to the whole idea of Shamrock being in the zone. Yeah. And he snapped and he can't come back out of it, like, so I love that. And I'm fucking, I'm really, really sad now. The only, the only thing I'm most positive thing to say about it is I'm happy to see him go before his mystique went because there's always that worry with like a guy who's in the middle card when you have a lot of young guys coming up now someone like Ken Shamrock who in the past was viewed as a badass he didn't want it to be like a Vader 2.0 or a Legion yeah. of Doom and him being there in like 2002 and just jobbing out left right and centre that's a very good point point. and yeah. I think uh, one of the reasons why he still is quite endearing is because he left with seemingly kind of unfinished business or he left having not achieved what we thought he could. So it's yeah. kind of like, damn it, Shamrock, there's a guy who could have, you know, maybe been a champion someday. Who knows? I mean, but I, I, yeah, I'm going to miss Shamrock. Going to miss him a lot. Remember to call. <laughs> Alrighty, moving onwards, as we have to do. Backstage, Test, talking about the matchup next. He's going straight for it. It's Shane McMahon and Test. Love her or leave her match. It is a Greenwich street fight. Of course, we'd mentioned previously, Test, is now going out with young Stephanie McMahon and Shane was very upset by this saying that he was leaving corporate ministry business behind even the running of the company behind he was focused on making sure that Test was going to go nowhere near his baby sister he wants her all to himself because uh, it's not like that Billy <laughs> oh, come on Billy McMahon over here he's not Vince recapping the story uh, I like this because you know, they had Linda was involved with it, the Stooges were involved with it, the Mean Street Posse were involved as well, and Shane was great. He brought back Joey Abs, who was Stephanie's like high school sweetheart, and Stephanie was like, Oh, this guy was a jerk. He like took me out once and he was an asshole. And he's like, <laughs> he's like Where are you going out with Tesh? You can go out with Joey Abs. And Joey Abs is like, Yeah. That's so brilliant. I love continuity. I know, yeah. That, and like yeah. Joey Abs is like, Again, he's a guy who, who, by all intents and purposes, if you put him in a pair of black trunks and coming out with that haircut he'd be like Joe Jackson from Mississippi or whatever yeah. but instead he's a character from one of the characters past yeah and I love it when he comes out and he's like oh he's from Greenwich he's born with a silver spoon in his mouth he's like Stephanie I thank you mate. <laughs> the only the only silver blue blood from Kentucky I'm just saying but uh, yeah I like it Posse have been killed in the run up to this match um Test had been decimating the ranks of the Mean Street Posse. 
breaking the ankle of Joey Abs, the arm of Rodney, and the neck of Pika. Jesus! Tess comes out to that theme music. I love that theme. I used to sing that so much with my friends at the playground when I was a kid. We always used to joke about it, like, what's he saying? No one can tell what he's saying. It's just uh, Vic Reeves doing club singing. Shame it man comes out. Whoa, talk about heat. Yeah. How many times in these stories? I mean, this is a legit question with modern age toilets. How many times when a guy comes out and is like, oh, he's the baddie, and people are like, oh, boo, you know, they get a bit of heat. Boo because they have to. Yeah, they, they're part of the show. They don't want to be impolite. Yeah. They'll boo the man. Yeah. Randy Orton. But uh, yeah, <laughs> Shane McMahon, the fucking heat. They hate him. Good Lord. And I love Shane coming out because, again, the heel has to think he's right. That always makes for the best psychology in a match. And here's Shane going, you're a fucking wrestler. You don't date my sister. Yeah. We're, we own the company. And you can kind of see his logic. You can see his point of view, yeah. If not the way he's doing it. But Shane looks like he's going to kill Test. I love it. You can be a heel and not be a chicken shit. In, yeah. In, when yeah. He's, he looks, he's full of bravado when he comes out. But shortly thereafter, the Mean Street Posse come out wearing their various bandages and their Hawaiian shirts. Why are they in Hawaiian shirts? <laughs> Summer, <laughs> Why not, mate? SummerSlam. California, man. This is not WCW, <laughs> though, Kevin. Kawabunga, dude. For fuck's sake. WCW and, like, Hawaiian shirts. The most tragic image ever. He's just like, late-ish WCW, Bobby Heenan in a Hawaiian shirt. Just looking sad. Oh, <laughs> my God. Set next to Tony Schiavone. Looking sad. Oh. <laughs> There's a couch... <laughs> on the front row yeah and it's never really explained why JR says if no one knew they were coming why do they have a couch at ringside they got a couch and they got a lamp and yeah. they got some champagne yeah they like themselves some sparkling wine do the posse front row and centre for this one I thought it's hilarious they started drinking wine right at the start of the match it's so funny <laughs> tell you what I don't think Mean Street Posse are really injured because really? he's picking up the wine, he's holding the wine with his fucking cast hands. Is, it, is this once again one of those uh, cases where you think it might be a bit of a story? I think it might be a bit of a story. <laughs> I, I think so. I think Shane's got a bee in his bonnet about something. <laughs> and I think it's Tess. I think it's Tess. <laughs> fucking hell, Tess starts this one off huge. The size of that takedown. Yeah. Again, nice working with Shane. You get to see that Tess is a big fucking dude. Again, yeah, know? this is something we mentioned in previous episodes about how the big man, you should put him with a little guy to really make advantage of his yeah. size. And yeah. that works perfectly. Tess here. is huge here. He manhandles Shane in the early going of this. Unbelievable. Uh, Tess goes outside to confront the Mean Street Posse. At one point, pressing Shane McMahon into them into their couch, they all fall over. Amazing. Hilarious. Unbelievable. Uh, Steph is shown backstage laughing her head off at yeah. this point, which I think is brilliant. Uh, Tess pans the posse. But he gets quickly overwhelmed as the three guys start jumping him. They even get a mailbox shot. The posse start handing handing gimmicks to Shane to use. And he gives the, the Mean Street Posse mailbox it's got a dollar sign on the front. Which means Greenwich. Yeah. Obviously. <laughs> Greenwich's postcode is dollar dollar. <laughs> uh, Shane as well gets the portrait of him and the posse. It's brilliant. Always like there. Oh, it's look, it's look such a nice. nicely framed photo. Wearing their yeah. nice sweaters. They look so nice. Glass goes everywhere. It's unbelievable. Mm. Great athletic moves by Shane then. And they go back into the ring. Amazing sequence. Shane manages to uh, jump over Tess keeping in mind the size of Tess yeah. that's very important at one point getting a corkscrew moonsault attempt from Shane oh my god how <laughs> the fuck did Shane McMahon pull that off this is it's the boss. Well, I mean, he, did, well, he didn't pull it off. Well, no. But right, let's just sing. Well, no, he, he did the move. Yeah, he did the if, move. If Tess, did, if Tess didn't move out of the way, he would have hit it perfectly. Like, it was um, amazing. Unbelievable to think that six months ago in the timeline, you know, here he was at WrestleMania 
and I mean that was really his first proper I mean he had matches before but that was his mm. first back and forth and here he is busting out these big moves awesome incredible unbelievable amazing sick powerbomb by Tess you think the win is there but the posse just distract the ref and now you see that Tess has these insurmountable odds keep in mind it's love her or leave her so if Tess loses here he can no longer date Stephanie so yeah. I mean you're getting Tess does a good job here getting his frustration across the posse interfere and help Shane elbow drop Tess to the Spanish announce table in, again incredible first of many unbelievable first of many yeah we'll see that a lot but oh my god seriously Shane McMahon is incredible here like, but he just floats he's so yeah and the way he lands is so precise like, it's such I've never seen such a clean table break like yeah. you know, the Spanish announce table normally explodes and shit goes everywhere he lands on it so perfectly it just collapses neatly he disassembles it back into its Ikea flat pack like, <laughs> it's unbelievable we get a great quote from Jim Ross where the test has been dragged back into the ring and Jim Ross just goes test has been put through hell over his love for Stephanie I'm like oh man this is fucking great Sums like, it up, yeah. I really felt that the crowd were buying into it they were really making test a fucking star here yeah. whether or not they follow through on that that remains to be seen but right now test is over as fuck because he gets that kick out from Shane after that elbow drop the place gets unglued. Unbelievable. Test kicks out again after, you know, the posse re-interfere. And like, you think, oh my God, this man is like, just not going to get a fair shake of the stick. Who comes out to run off the posse? But the fucking Stooges, Patterson and Briscoe. The pop they get it's is amazing. unbelievable. <laughs> Jerry with the sign, incredible. Do you oh yeah, the- with the giant stop sign, he like jumps up and smacks him over the head of it. Unbelievable. Like, sorry, just to go back to this pop though, when you consider like how much these guys were hated before, yeah. and the boo, and like, people jeered him out of the arena the fact that everyone was like actually delighted to see the Stooges show up it's such a fucking cool moment it's really because really, I mean, you know they've been fired by Shane and the corporation yeah. it's cool to see him back really really awesome stuff so Shane's left all alone in the ring he gets the pump handle slam and he's left not in the centre quite a bit away from the centre of the ring Tess goes up top I'm like oh my god never gonna make it this is gonna end in a horrible botch Fuck me, seven foot, uh, 350 pounds of him, Tess flies across the ring with a beautiful elbow drop, and he actually hits it. It's amazing. Amazing leap. One, two, three, Tess wins. It means that he and Stephanie can continue to go out, and Shane has to butt out of their affairs. Absolutely brilliant. Really amazing match. The story building up this was great, because, I mean, Shane's promos were like, get away from my sister, you know? It was so much better than the Billy Gunn, uh, Ryan Shamrock uh, oh, version yeah. of this. This worked really well, You because really, they were brother and sister. You really yeah. bought it. Everyone played the roles well here. Posse did great. Tess did great. Stooges did great. Yeah. Steph runs out in the end all happy. She does great. I, it was great. Amazing. I think the testament to this is that this is the kind of storyline that on paper <coughs> things like South Park would make fun of because yeah. it's like, oh, they're fighting over the guy's right to date his sister, which is a ridiculous concept, but they do it so well. It's like the, the best drama you get in Yeah, wrestling. exactly. Yeah. And at the same time, manages to be one of the best comedy matches we've seen so far. It's, it's so. really great. Perfect storm. And it's a testament to how just entertaining this whole angle is, is that given the Attitude Era crowd, I would not, not that I would you know, accept it, but I would not be surprised if they were like, Boo, take it off, puppies. But fuck it. They actually are like, yay, a man and a woman can continue to be happy with each other. And they cheer that. I'm like, oh my God, these people have become civil. Yeah. You know, (laughs) for a brief moment. (laughs) The sweetest part of this as well is when, you know, uh, Stephanie comes out at the end and she hugs Tess in the middle of the ring. You can very briefly, just at the corner of the camera, you can see the Stooges. They're watching. And as um, Stephanie and Tess hug, they hug each other as well. (laughs) We did it, buddy. We got them back together again. It's so sweet. Pat Patterson, I think that Tess and Stephanie 
are going to be all rights. <laughs> and he just walks away in his white suit. <laughs> Tag team championships are on the line. It is X-Pac and Kane taking on uh. the Unholy Alliance. You're going to reach your hand out to me and I'm going to stick a knife right in the middle of your heart. I hate everyone. I hate everything. This is absolute carnage. There's going to be pain. This is a, a savage, brutal attack. It's a time for pure, unadulterated hatred and evil. Here comes the big show. What you see before you is the most dominating force ever. Now it's King, Big Pummel, Big Brutalize. Give it to him by The Undertaker and The Big Show. We will hurt who we want. We will take what we want, and we will destroy what we want. I don't think the 82nd Airborne can part off The Big Show and The Undertaker. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Big Red Machine is distraught. He is emotionally destroyed. X-Pac is so keen. What it's like to have a heart. You are Sean. You hurt me. I'm gonna hurt you. X-Pac and Kane against the dangerous acolytes here tonight on Raw. And the battle for the tag team titles is underway here. X-Pac, quicker than a hiccup, comes in. Has no fear, I can assure you that. No. Look at this! Oh, man, what impact! Tremendous impact by Kane! X-Pac is a gamer. This kid will not quit. Oh. As long as he's breathing, I'll guarantee you that. And the X-Factor! The X-Factor! X-Pac hit the X-Factor! Yes! We got the tag champions! If you ain't down... With me and the big red machine, Kane has got two words for you. Stop My God, there's a big show in The Undertaker. Oh, my gosh. The Undertaker, the big show. With a long amount of salt. The Undertaker trying to take his brother's head off. The big show going right after X-Pac's neck. Look at the carnage that has been left at the hands of The Undertaker and the big show. What used to be known as SummerSlam will now be known as Armageddon. Armageddon! And whoever shows up will be hurt. Well, we briefly talked about these guys earlier. In so much as there they were looking silly coming into the ring. I wish that's all it was. The night after Fully Loaded, these two formed a team. The general basis of which is that Undertaker is pissed off. Big Show is like his protege. He's going to teach him how to be a real killer. First problem with this. In the first promo that these guys did, right, the very first one, Undertaker is like, things are going to be serious now. Because you saw him coming out with the biker shit and all Mm. this stuff. He's like... The days of lights and scary music are over. It's about kicking ass. Now, they do come out to lights and scary music. Yep. Very scary music. Yep. Scary and how shit it is. Yeah. Awful. Do you want to discuss their, uh, their big promo? Well, we were going to talk about it earlier with Jericho, but I suppose it's more appropriate here. Jericho's second interruption that he did on Raw was he interrupted Big Show and Undertaker. They had an in-ring promo. Now, in that promo, he called it boring. And in his book, he got a lot of heat backstage, kind of saying, you just called The Undertaker boring. But Jericho's rationale, the sad truth was, was that 
Fuck me, these two cut one of the most boring promos in the history of wrestling. This is, I think, yeah, top five worst promos of all time. completely agree with you. And here it is. What's that? Paul said we're going to need two bikes for a ride into the desert. The guy said, Brother Paul, now we know the dead man can handle it, but I don't know about the big show. It's August. It's 120 degrees in the middle of Death Valley. He says the only thing that survives in Death Valley are the cold-blooded, the snakes and the lizards. Paul said that's all right. And in one of those bikes that you're setting up for us, I want the big show only to have enough gas to get to the middle of the desert and not get back. What? So we're on our way. We get to the middle of Death Valley, 120 degrees. The Big Show's bike runs out of gas. And I pull up next to him and I ask him this question. It's 120 degrees. How are you going to survive? He looks me straight in the eyes. Without a hesitation, he says, I'm going to wait till you go to sleep. I'm going to stab you in the back. I'm going to cut your flesh off, make a coat out of it, and I will eat your flesh until I find food. I said, good answer, big man, but I don't sleep. And I drove off and left him. I waited on the outskirts of the desert. Two days later, he comes walking out with a snake necktie and lizard boots, carrying his Harley Davidson on his shoulder. (laughs) He's big enough. So... The general basis of it seems to be very Hulk Hogan, Brutus Beefcake type thing. It just sounds like he's starting up to do a joke. It sounds like a joke. It sounds like a joke. Mate, the worst joke ever. The setup for this is rubbish. Basically, I said to Brother Paul, get two bikes, because we're going to ride some bikes into the desert. But in one of those bikes you are getting, I want there to be only enough fuel in that bike to get halfway to where we're planning on going so that his bike will run out of gas and he... (laughs) Oh, you're so boring. So fucking dull. You're so boring, you gave me a boner. You're so boring, (laughs) my mind just went and thought of other things. That is how boring this was. Jesus Christ. He goes, you're out of gas in the middle of the desert, big man. What are you going to do? And, and of course, instead of Big Show going, what I said was, Undertaker, smart, speaks for him, says, what I'm going to do is rip your flesh off, wear it as a coat, then eat your flesh. <laughs> Why would you bother fashioning a coat if you're going to fucking eat it? <laughs> it's so fucking stupid. And then, he, then he, le- he leaves Big Show in the desert, turns up two days later with lizard shoes and a snake tie. Snake tie? <laughs> with a snake tie carrying his Harley Davidson on his back. What the fuck is happening? This is like a Captain Beefheart song. What is going on? Step behind the curtain. You use me for a snakeskin tie. <laughs> Fast and bulbous. Okay, all right. First things first, about that image. Imagine, just as image in your head right now, big show, bollock naked, except wearing a pair of snakeskin boots and a lizard tie. Oh. Carrying your bike. So his stomach's raising up so you can see everything. Oh, also, just as well, the image of a little campfire and big, massive big show with a little, little marshmallow and stick going, uh oh, I better make some clothes out of reptiles. <laughs> <laughs> just here's the coyotes. Oh, I haven't even got a 
would he make only ties and shoes? <laughs> tie rack, basically. He could only make accessories. <laughs> and he had a pair of gecko cufflinks. <laughs> oh, awful stuff. I'm not saying you have to draw the big show wearing some reptile clothes, but if you feel like it, please feel free. So the build of this, though, I mean, as boring as Undertaker and Big Show are as a group and their, their weekend escapades. What is nice about this, though, is that we're finally getting more of the Xbox-Kane uh, relationship being kind of really explored. Mm. And the idea now is that Kane is kind of scary for Xbox because they're in a feud with these two big monsters... And, you know, X-Pac, he's only Bug, He's only little. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Kane is, like, trying to save X-Pac. X-Pac feels he's something to prove that he can hang with these big guys. And it's really awesome. I mean, we had the uh, really important moment, of course, on the promo there, which was after X-Pac got killed by, you know, Big Show and Undertaker. And he's like... Yeah, that's actually Mm. really quite haunting, seeing Kane screaming on the floor. Yeah. And then he's talking on, you hurt me. You hurt Sean, which is his shoot name. Yeah. Uh, the thing that got me the most is like, it's, yeah, we have this big emotional bit with Kane. <laughs> and then you're going, suck it. Suck and it's definitely it. one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Uh, it's Kane it's, saying suck it's it. It's his first words, mate. <laughs> I have to say, I'm Kane, when he comes out, so fucking over. Oh, yeah. yeah. Crazy and over. It's nice to see Kane get that recognition. Mickey C has a quick word with X-Pac and reverse Kane backstage. Yeah, I love that as a kid. Yeah, debut of this awesome outfit with the black and the red reverse. Swapped around, yeah. It's it looks really fucking cool. Best of Kane. Um, <laughs> I, no, I really love it. You know, X-Pac is just basically like, you are going to go out there and do what we're going to do. Tell him, Kane. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Taker and Shell head out to the ring. Two big slug gurgling bastards like they are. <laughs> That fucking music, awful. John Carpenter's the shite tag team. <laughs> Although, thank God for small graces. Big Show obviously ate his small pants in the desert and yeah, is wearing yeah. his regular ones again. Thank Christ, it's gone. We get a line from King, which confused me for a second. He goes, I'll never forgive X-Pac for treating that hideous Kane like a human being. How dare he? Yeah, what, what a heel. <laughs> King also goes on to say, X-Pac must be more nervous than a pizza on the plate of Paul Bearer. That's brilliant. That, that is a brilliant That's line. one of his good one-liners. That's brilliant. Right so yeah, I mean, it's, it's the kind of match you expect from these two with, you know, X-Pac getting worked over a lot, Kane coming to his rescue and, and things of that nature. Nature. You know, Undertaker and Xbox is a very interesting combo, I have to say. I really liked when anytime those two guys were in the ring together, it was a nice match of size yeah. and speed. It was it was really good. But then we get the tag to Big Show, and right there he goes. You pointed this out a few episodes ago, and it's ruined all these big show matches for me. Straight to the corner. Yeah. yeah. Always works in the corner. Always with the corner. Yeah. Corner, corner, corner. What is do. Big Show's favourite yogurt? Muller fucking corner. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Be like a big swimming pool sized one. <laughs> and the little jacuzzi is the crispy bit that he puts in. You ever been around Big Show's house? His Muller Corner needs a lifeguard. <laughs> For fuck's sake. <laughs> Undertaker in the corner there gets tied in, starts working over Kane. These two really like beat the shit out of each other. Undertaker at one point, Jim Ross goes, Undertaker talking trash in the corner with Kane. To which I wrote, Undertaker calling spots in the corner. <laughs> Don't point it out, Jim. Don't point it out. I got a hot tag to X-Pac with a scintillating spin kick. More scintillation going on here. He doesn't say who's your daddy much anymore, but we're getting a lot of scintillation. That's his new thing, I, I think. I think so. Scintillation. Big Show headbutts X-Pac's willy. 
There's a lot of willy-based offense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's silly for Big Show to be doing a headbutt to the groin. You're a it? giant. Mm. You don't need to be attacking the guy's balls. Just fucking use your strength. They're trying so hard to put Big Show over here, but he's such a square peg in this match. Yeah. You're in there with three guys who are really good workers, and not just that, who are really like adept the scholars of the WWF Established. style. And Big Show struggles. He's, yeah. I mean, he gets a bear hug, and Jim Ross is like, the most devastating bear hug in the history of this industry. Wow. Trying much? Wow. Come on. Hot tag to Kane. Kane sets up the Bronco Buster for X-Pac, who hits it on the Big Show. I kind of like this. Big Show just stood up and hit a choke slam immediately. Mm. But then he goes for an arrogant cover, which incenses The Undertaker. Did you learn nothing in the desert? <laughs> That's not what we're about, man. We don't do cocky pins in this in this unholy alliance. What is this team? Tombstone Piledriver, and there we go. New tag team champions. I enjoyed the match. I hate the fucking team. Yeah. Good match. Be- better than I expected. Yeah. I really thought the pairing of Undertaker and Big Show would make it weaker than it was, but it was very good in the end, so... In, in, in retrospect, they might find out down the line, considering that Undertaker was at the personification of evil Zenith at the end of the corporate ministry. He was as evil as you could go. And I'm sorry, but a couple of months of him talking about bikes and Paul Bear wearing sunglasses. I'm sorry, he should have he left, not Vince. Yeah. If he was gone and then came back cause he, like a year later as American Badass, mm. awesome, great. But we've got this awful tail end of his career before he goes at yeah. this point. It like I'm sorry, but Phenom Undertaker that you don't like is going to be dragged kicking and screaming out of the timeline. <laughs> Alrighty, backstage, Jesse Ventura competes the Triforce of Needless Backstage Interviews. <laughs> the Triforce of Cussing Off, it's Stone Cold Steve Austin. Guess what? Pinfall's gonna happen on Mars. LOL, just kidding. <laughs> gonna happen in the ring. No way. Yeah. Alrighty, are you ready for a kiss my ass match? Ugh. The loser must return to the mid-card and never return. It's The Rock taking on the 1999 King of the Ring, badass Billy Gunn. The whole reason for this match is what we saw last month, which is Billy interfered in The Rock's match. And The Rock was just killing him in these promos in the week up to this. Killing him. Good. You know the one, the famous one where he's like, um, Billy, you know you're, you're screwed. And you know, once it comes to SummerSlam, you, know, you pray... And God answers you. The Rock understands what took place. The night you won King of the Ring, you got down on your knees, put your little hands together, and you said a prayer, and it sounded like this. Oh, dear God. You see, my name's Billy, and I just won King of the Ring, but there's one problem. Everybody still thinks that I absolutely suck. And then at that point, Billy, your house started to shake, the heavens opened up, and God himself spoke to you and said this, Bob, but my name's Billy. It doesn't matter what your name is. You know, he made Billy Gunn seem like just a fucking Egypt. Yeah. To the detriment of Billy Gunn, it's entertaining, but like, yeah, Billy Gunn is not being built in any way, shape, or form as to being a credible threat to The Rock here. And this is the one time I think that The Rock's skating promos maybe did him a disservice mm. because it wasn't too late for Billy. He could have gotten something out of this match. Yeah. But no, they get treated like a jabroni in the build-up to it and I think that hurts it going in because Billy comes out to fucking crickets. Yep. Yeah. King of the ring. No, a million viscera got more of a heel reaction than this. True. Crazy. Billy comes out and he reveals his ace in the hole. 
It's a middle-aged woman. It was old man Wickers all along. <laughs> Fuck <laughs> sake. So, under that blanket that they were teasing earlier on the night. Because, you know, when you tease that Billy's got some mysterious person with a blanket over you, think, oh, shit, is someone returning? Is maybe, be- maybe it's the Playboy centerfold of the month. Maybe. Instead, it is, as you say, a, uh, a middle-aged woman. An overweight middle-aged woman. And she is there... So that everyone can point and laugh at her because it's like, oh no, the rock is gonna have to kiss that fat lady's ass. Isn't it awful? Look at this freak. Let's all laugh at her. Isn't it terrible? Here's, here's, here's the dealio here in terms of this. You can do this kind of stuff. First and foremost, get someone from like you know like a Howard Stern thing. Someone who's like you know, like you know from the the freak circuit from from circuses. This is just like an overweight middle-aged woman. Yeah. It looks like someone's mom. Like, like. You can tell she has no idea yeah. that like why not that's actually... the reason why she's going out there is because she's going to be made fun of yeah. by everybody. Oh, it's soul destroying. It's, it's so mean spirited. Jerry Lawler like li- riles off like a hundred lines in a row, and Jim Ross just goes, "No offense, ma'am." It's like too late. Like. Seriously. So yeah, that's why was, if they got someone who was like kind of. For lack of a better term, like a professional anomaly, yeah. as Ricky J would put it, <laughs> this would have been better because I think that person maybe just didn't. She's too sympathetic, this woman. Yeah, I just, she my is. Heart I felt over. so sorry for her. There's a couple of moments where she looks like she's about to cry because people are chanting oh, fat Jesus. bitch. Jesus. Oh. It's horrible. I mean, seriously, the way they do this, if you're going to do this fucking thing where it's like, oh, I'm going to make the rock kiss a, fat, kiss a fat woman's ass. You should have, like, you know, have a woman in the front, like, you know, plant her in the front row and be like, Billy, or like, you know, go over to her or whatever. But the fact that they hint at it earlier in the night. standing at ringside. You see her cloaked at night, earlier on in the night, and they're bringing her out. He brings her out into the center of the ring and then, like, unrobes her and he's like, Look, everyone, it's a fat woman. It's like, can't believe they actually had the gall to do something as insensitive as that. So Billy says that if he wins the match, Brock's not going to kiss his ass, he's going to kiss Lady's ass. So, um, there you go. the match starts off to, you know, people are cheering for The Rock, but no one thinks Billy can beat The Rock. So you get this awkward thing that kills the psychology of a match like this, which is silence when Billy's on offense and then cheers for Rock when he yeah. does stuff. You get no booze, you get no rallying. So awkward. People are just waiting for The Rock to, to come back. Um, pretty quick pace to start, though. I mean, they are trying. Billy is a good, you know, worker, we pointed out before. He's got some cool moves. He is working like, he's pushing The Rock a lot more to the limits than, you know, say, you know, Triple H was, I think, in terms mm. of athleticism. But the crowd aren't into it. No. They're not into his character. Typical, you know, semi-main event stuff here. You know, they brawl to the crowd. They come back towards the ringside area. Rock takes King's crown and puts it on Billy's head and hits him. This is the first and last time we get a proper King of the Ring reference <laughs> for Billy Gunn. Like, I thought it was a serious bit of burial right there. Because yeah. Rock's almost like, look at this guy. He's going to be the King of the Ring after all. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of ridiculous. Uh, Billy hits Rock with the bell. And uh, I wrote down that poor woman because at this point the slow pace of the match was just. Uh, Sorry, you want that poor woman? You can see I've also written that down. I just Jesus Christ in heaven! They're all they're just constantly Jr. and King are just yeah. talking about J- her. You can tell the three of us are like mama's boys, but it's like you know this is struck a nerve. But the three of us, I think, this like poor lady. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel so bad for her. J- Jerry says one well, generally one of the most disgusting things I've ever heard him say he says if the kiss has to be a French one with tongue <laughs> I genuinely Jesus. throw up in my mouth a little bit <laughs> right I know that it's the fucking attitude here and everything but he does know that kids watch wrestling right he's talking about I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say, say it. it. I'm not going to say it. Yeah. It's disgusting. This podcast is Attitude Era in name only. <laughs> Billy hits a nice neck breaker and takes control. He then hits a bulldog headlock. 
AKA Billy's 2K14 strategy. Oh! I dinged you good. We'll get him back one day, don't worry. <laughs> the Rock looks mighty pissed. He just like, I love this. The Rock just like kind of takes a lot of moves and just looks pissed off and just makes a comeback. Yeah. She's like, fuck this. Boom, you know. <laughs> he gets a bloody nose as well. Uh, yeah. Which he's believed that obviously there was a wayward shot from the 1989 King of the Ring. Mm. The Rock Bottom gets blocked into a Famouser, which was really awesome. Great height from Billy. Go yeah, on. that was actually quite a nice little spot. Yeah. And then Billy summons the lady Billy gets asked yeah, yeah. He, she pulls down her britches and Brock throws his face in her ass and Jim Ross with the call of the century the Rock just put Billy Gunn's face in that large woman's ass all I wrote down for the end was ass begets ass <laughs> <laughs> that is brilliant sorry out of body experience that, that's gone he's now ass begets ass that is, that is outstanding <laughs> That, that joke is not worthy of this muck of a match. <laughs> uh, so there you go. Billy Gunn gets a one-way ticket back down to the mid-card. Rock bottom people's elbow. <laughs> it's over. Rock beats him. Billy doesn't even get to kiss the Rock's ass. No. Which was the stipulation of the yeah. fucking match. I'm kind of glad that didn't happen. Yeah, but as if the humiliation hadn't been enough. As if Billy hadn't been buried in the build-up to this match. And buried in the match. I mean, good lord. I mean, the next night in Raw. I just, personally, I thought this is, again, another example of The Rock being entertaining. But really at someone else's expense. The Rock came out in the main event the next night on Raw. But he comes out in the main event next night on Raw, which is the championship match. And The Rock is like, so they say, hey, go out there and face Gangrel or go out there and face Billy Gunn. Well, The Rock says that ain't good enough. Ooh. Straight it away. It isn't. You did two it things. Isn't, he, but... he frustrations, the character's been kept down. I want in. I get that. But he's like, Billy Gunn, Gangrel, Pete Gas. You know, they're all the yeah. same. You know, he really just firmly took the man down a peg there. I agree with him, but you shouldn't be saying it. Again, I think that handled correctly, Billy Gunn could have, he could have been up there. He uh, could have, he could have, all right, give, handled credibly, I think, you know, Billy could have had this match and it'd be okay and come out looking well. Yeah, he could have done, but the whole handled correctly thing, for me, it doesn't just mean like handled correctly after winning the King of the Ring. Because yeah. even before the King of the Ring, he didn't feel like he deserved to win that anyway. Yeah, Talking true. about in terms of if it was handled correctly, I mean his character as a whole should have been handled correctly in that scenario. <laughs> uh, at least they followed through on their bungling of his character all yeah. the way. So long, Billy. Nice knowing you. <laughs> <laughs> Are you ready for the main event? Triple Threat. WWF Championship on the line. Austin versus Triple H versus Mankind. Oh, what a tangled web we weave. Stone Cold Steve Austin, the victim of a vicious attack. There was a cinder block near his head. What, what happened? What happened? Tonight in the triple threat match, it's going to be Triple H. It's going to be The Undertaker and the third and final opponent to see who the number one contender at SummerSlam will be is China. China's just a girl. She can get hurt. Just a woman. Try me, Triple H. Now remember this match. I don't know what you're trying to prove. 
but let's call a spade a spade here. Remember who made your ass? I did. Listen, you ungrateful bitch. I am not asking anymore. I am telling you, I am taking back what's mine. You give it a shot, Triple H. Frankly, you ain't got the to beat me. We're gonna finally find out who the number one contender's gonna be at SummerSlam. Wait, wait, there's mankind! What? Mankind is there! He's got, what is it? He's got, oh, gosh! Right in the head! Pelt, he got nailed in the head by mankind! Wait a minute, wait a minute! Wait! Again, China is the number one contender! I want a piece of SummerSlam! How did that sound, Milwaukee? Mankind wants to be the number one contender for Summer. Oh, that means no. Nick, you want, you shall receive. I cannot believe this. We're going to see China and mankind go one-on-one -on -one tonight. If you want it, you'll break your ovaries, and I'll break my guys. We'll see who the number one contender truly is. China, look out. China is distracted by Triple H's presence. Fuck up. And China is counting down. And Hilsley can't stand it. Shane McMahon is back. Good. Tonight, in that very ring, I am demanding a match between Mankind and Triple H to determine the undisputed number one contender for SummerSlam. Shane McMahon and the Heartbreak Kid will both be referees with Mankind and Triple H. No holes barred. Uh, anything goes in this match and a false count anywhere in the arena. Who will be the number one contender? It really don't make a damn to me because I ain't gonna give a rat's ass who's in the ring with me as long as I got an opponent. What? Wait, no. Mankind's hand is up and so is Helsley. Who won the damn match? Yeah, let's go. We want to know who won the damn match. Shane and Sean were deadlocked in their call of the match. Vince contractually could not be backstage, so I made the decision that at SummerSlam there would be the triple threat compromise. It's gonna be Austin against two men. Healthy mankind, it'll be two men coming to take Austin's title. Remember last month I was like, hey guys, Triple H is the number one contender. <sighs> so I mean, he wasn't the number one contender after all. He was the number one contender, then they did a triple threat match with him and The Undertaker and China. China won, China became the number one contender. China again won another match to become the number one contender. Triple H called China an ungrateful bitch. They, those two faced off. That whole thing was a red herring. McFoley came back, says he wants to be a number one contender. Then him and Triple H had a match, they both pinned each other, so it's a triple threat match. Fuck me, good God almighty. Stupid. stupid. I do stupid, feel sorry stupid. for Triple H. I do as yeah. well. He he deserved to be the number one contender. Yeah. He won that match. Why do this to him? He had the whole you know? push that was like, it's my time, I'm the game. Everything was set up for him to take on the yeah. champion one-on-one. -on -one. Now there are two excuses given for this frankly horrifically strange build because I mean this main event only got set the raw before the pay-per-view really you knew for months that Jesse Ventura was going to be refing, but that was about it so I mean it's crazy it shows you how hot they were that they got a good buy rate on this despite the fact that they had done no real proper solid promotion I mean there's a there's match cards floating around on the internet it's like Austin versus China SummerSlam title on the line huh. now Vince Russo has said that, or it's been said that Vince Russo's opinion was that he thought if it was just Austin, Triple H, I want to beat you, I want to, I don't want you to beat me. He thought, oh, it's too wrestling. It's too basic. Right. So that's why we got the fucking red herring brick Bullshit. road here instead. Bullshit. Austin and Triple H could have done that. 
Dead easy. First proper like main event feud with each other and they could have pulled that off. And it is time for another uh, horrible moment where we discuss the supposed paranoia of Stone Cold Steve Austin. One of the reasons for the triple threat match as well and all the chicane leading up to it was that apparently Austin did not want to put over Triple H clean. Really? Yes. The plan was it was that it was like Triple H was going to win. Austin was like, no. Now there's been stuff like Apparently, Michaels called him out in radio interviews saying that, you know, you know, he was saying, like, he won't put over my friend. He's ungrateful. You know, it's, it's his time to put someone over. Austin, of course, you'll notice this match, two knee braces. The injuries were catching up to him at this yeah. point. So, that's, what, that's why we have Foley in this match as kind of a bit of a workaround. Jeez. That being said, you can always view it from Austin's point of view where he's always going to take the stance and take the form saying, oh, it's because I want to make more money. This needs to be built more. Yeah. need more time. But if it's not going to happen at SummerSlam, friend, when is it going to happen? Seriously, yeah. That's pretty shady. You know, yeah, I think, you know, we, this is two months in a row now where we've like, you know, he won't put over Jarrett or he won't be involved in a few with Jarrett and now he won't put over Triple H. Now, forgive me if I'm wrong, but I think last month it was kind of uh, quite clear at Fully Load in 1999 that the rocket was strapped to Triple H's Definitely. back. And I think, you know, if you're going to have gripes, surely they can be done before we put this man over the rock yeah. and, you know, make you, him out like he's... You let, yeah. the, you let it go this far. You let him win the number one contenders match and then he decided to kick him a fuss afterwards. The Triple H really does kind of get fucked over here because now we're seeing that the man who it seemed like this was going to be his time as he was saying the focus on this match is not on Triple H it's not on Mick Foley it's not on Austin really it's all about one man and that is Jesse the Bonnie Ventura yeah what's he doing here Kev? Jesse Ventura after a long period of absence really from the WWF I mean he left on awful terms back in the day Jesse of course was you know wanted to start a wrestling union was always the big deal between him and McMahon that was a big falling out he successfully sued McMahon for getting royalties for his commentary track on the on the pay-per-views on video bad blood but then of course Jesse Ventura goes and only wins himself an election and becomes governor of Minnesota which for the non-American fans you know people are saying like oh governor what is that like fucking county councillor it is a very big deal to be governor you are the, the the highest law in that state and many states have a lot of autonomy so it's a fucking huge deal that Jesse Ventura was governor straight away on Raw you're getting all these things kind of you know the Jesse Ventura experience video comes out over <laughs> 20 scintillating minutes of thrown together footage <laughs> remember we had on Raw as well but the one we reviewed the first of the 4th of January Raw which me and Billy reviewed from 99 where they're like the WWF opened the doors to the governor's mansion for Jesse Ventura you know a lot of, a lot of change in pace but yeah Jesse Ventura he was asked by Vince McMahon the media were all over this the media and Jesse had a very bad relationship going back all throughout his campaign he did not like the media mm. and uh, you know there was a lot of will he won't he according to Foley's book several times he was definitely cancelled not happening and then put back on and it was this uncertainty and up until the moment that he walked into the arena with his you know SWAT team fucking kind <laughs> there people were, were unsure but uh, I have to say Jesse Ventura does come out and he does a great job his political career is an interesting one though I mean do you guys know much about Jesse being a uh, governor? Nothing. No. Quite a, he, he was a, an independent party guy like he wasn't with either the Democrats or the Republicans right. stormed in you know he, he did quite well his, his advertising campaign was all like you know him as an action figure and all this stuff playing up the fact that he was a wrestler playing up his notoriety and uh, he really, you know, struck a chord with the people. It seems he uh, he did very well in all the debates. His slogan was "Retaliate in 1998," 
I was trying to find out as well, get some information about this from the guys at Paul Driver Wrestling. And I was asking, did Jesse Ventura have any official stances or a manifesto? Apparently, when asked for his manifesto, he told the media, stick your position papers where the sun don't shine. So, wow. that would be a no then. <laughs> Uh, apparently his biggest gaffe was when he was accused of advocating legal prostitution in Minneapolis oh, during no. an open forum which would lead to a little mini scandal and Hulk Hogan rushing to talk the side of wrestling with Larry King <laughs> do you want to disrespect Hulk Hogan a little bit more go on here's a quote from Hulk Hogan talking to Larry King about Jesse Ventura well I'm not going to make any predictions because something in the sometimes in the age of Jerry Springer anything's possible but my buddies and everyone in the professional wrestling world, we've always known what Jesse's capabilities have been as far as a person, a performer, and where his heart really comes from. So I mean, Jesse did as best as he could in the wrestling business, and he did not reach the top in this business. And I really feel with the open forum and the chance he has to expose himself without anyone holding his hands in the political arena, he's not going to be a main inventor in politics either. Larry King then says, are you saying he's never reached the top of the wrestling world? Hogan, I pretty much know this business, and he's never made it in my world. Fuck you, sir. Wow. <laughs> Unbelievable. The arrogance of this man. The unbridled arrogance. And Fucking people hell. wonder why the two don't get on. Yeah. Wow. Jesse also ran for president in 04, but was withdrawn from the race quite early. But he was mayor of uh, his hometown in Minnesota, in Brooklyn Park, from 95 to 98. So it wasn't as if Jesse was doing this. Wasn't out of the blue. Uh, yeah. Of course, Jesse still appears doing you know political stuff. He's now basically saying that he doesn't live in, in in America anymore. He resides in Mexico. Still an interesting man to hear from, but I think the political days for Jesse Ventura are probably over. More about conspiracy theories now, right? I've been a professional wrestler for 20 years, and I ain't seen no reptiles walking around. <laughs> 9-11 was a lizard. <laughs> <laughs> he ought to know. He's Oliver Stone's kid. <laughs> now, what was nice is he made a few appearances on Raw before this to promote the, the big match. Uh, of course, he had an in-ring interview with, quote, fellow statesman, Jerry the Burger King Lawler. Oh, God. Jerry was running for the um, mayor of Memphis at the time. For fuck's sake. Got a, a couple of nice notes on Jerry Lawler's campaign. He won 11.7% of the votes, a distant third. And the highlight of his campaign was that during it, he was charged with reckless endangerment for allegedly running over an airport officer's foot while driving his van away. A van. <laughs> Fuck. The mayor driving a van. I'm just saying, only two kinds of people drive vans. That lad who helps the Punisher, you know, the the fat one. Right. Oh, I'm not going to say the other ones. <laughs> Apologies to van drivers everywhere. Uh, also, the officer was writing him a ticket while he ran over his foot. For Jesus. For sake, Jerry. Also, Jerry was very focused on securing the youth vote. Anyway, moving on. Ah, bah, bah, bah. <laughs> moving on. That's there crazy. is footage of him. He was like That's really just, trying. Let's just hear footage. Let's just get to the match. All righty. So there we go. Jesus. That's a little bit of politics for you. So Jesse makes his way out. I have to say, he looks fucking awesome here. The yeah, crowd love him. How often do you get to see your own governor? True, yeah. You know, come out and, and all that. It's, it's awesome. He gets announced as the most powerful referee in WWF history. Um, I will not argue with that. Well, no. from a political point of view, I suppose that's very correct. Yeah, they make you guys governor and do some stroke around here. <laughs> but uh, Jesse cuts this awesome promo because there was all the speculation. They were like, oh, they're not going to let Jesse talk. He's not allowed to say anything. He's going to be muzzled. And he gets the microphone. He says, you know, people have been running me down for being a wrestler. 
I am a wrestler. I've always been a wrestler, and I'm proud to be a wrestler. And I say, fucking hell, that was yeah, nice to hear. Decent of him to say that. Because I mean, God knows if you know most wrestlers who became governors would probably do so by denouncing or denying the existence. Sweep it under the rug, like. Yeah, yeah. And he embraced it, and more power to him for that. And so yeah, alrighty, we go backstage. We get shots of the competitors again with that kind of synth music. Do you guys like this, this build up again? I really the like that. Yeah, the Pretty awesome. Fernando doesn't actually know what the music is. It's the uh, you know when they're lowering the cage. It's the. It's awesome. Really cool. And I see mankind back he's got a shiny new ligament in his knee uh, he's ready to go yeah and then big papa pump triple h is ready as well wearing his sexy mithril <laughs> seriously fucking hell the uh, mess i never told him but its worth was more than all of greenwich connecticut <laughs> 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 fucking hell what is he doing straight away when, when 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 you saw that you were just like decrying him as the biggest loser ever for wearing it. just a- looks like a fucking idiot. Yeah, it just looks does. like lingerie. Y- you know when like um, girls play netball they put on those coloured bibs and it's basically a metal version of that. He's <laughs> rubbish. <laughs> Unbelievable. Austin gets a massive pop. Unbelievable. Yeah, action starts off. It's pretty awesome stuff. I mean, triple triple threat matches are by and large in main event scenarios are going to boil down to two guys do something someone gets thrown out. Yeah. And, you know, you get a lot of that here. But nothing to say it's cool because you got a lot of star power in the ring people are happy to see Austin you know they're happy to see Mick back and Triple H has got heat yeah and also for the first five minutes or so they do actually play up to the whole three man gimmick where you have got guys teaming up together like yes. Austin and Mankind work together a little bit and Mick gives them a hug hugs him and Austin just punches him in the face it's <laughs> awesome yeah really cool and uh, we get Jesse as well like you know living up to his word he's really like going after China China keeps trying to interfere and he's like you know if someone's going to throw a chair I'm fine but fuck it you know they're going to do it on your own none of this business and he's right in China's face it's really awesome Triple H gets a chair and starts working on Austin's knee and the announcer's reading putting over that Austin is now you know he's he's wounded so to speak you can sort of tell that he's on his way out now can't you yes Austin's appearances on TV in ring wise were were, were going down now mm. so to speak so it's kind of sad sad to see Jesse does panto with the crowd though which is like you know Triple H hits Austin with the chair and he's like did he hit him with a chair? And it was like, no, he's not. Yes, he is. You know? <laughs> 9-11 was an inside job. Oh, no, it's not. <laughs> oh, yes, it is. Oh, no, it's not. Read this detailed report. Uh, just going to say now, this is one of the sweariest matches in wrestling yeah. history. Yeah. yeah. There's so much swearing. Starting off, we run Mankind and Triple H are working together on Austin. And Mick goes for a pin right in front of Triple H. And Triple H just pulls him off and goes, the fuck are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Jesse Ventura ejects China to a big pop yeah. Austin brawls with Triple H on the outside back in the ring Triple H starts targeting the knee of Austin and then we get Triple H and Mankind forming an unlikely team and working over Austin the crowd fucking boo the shit out of this they do not want to see it like at all I thought it was cool it was cool yeah, I, was cool. I really liked it see these guys well, no, working together like, people were just like, felt so betrayed by Mankind yeah. you know doing it King tries to get Ventura over as a hard man this is just after China's gone King says that he's never seen anything like Ventura ejecting China. So King is saying he has never seen somebody not competing in a match <laughs> be ejected from the arena. The athleticism on that ejection. <laughs> it's quite ridiculous, really, in fairness. <laughs> like, really ridiculous. <laughs> we start getting a thing now where, like, guys are hitting finishers left and right, mm. but no one seems to be able to... Uh, to get the pin. Shane runs out, tries to defuse the situation after Jesse won't count Triple H after he hits Foley with the chair. He hits him with the chair and then uh, Ventura just looks at him and goes, what is this bullshit? <laughs> and then he like he goes to Kane, he's kind of, he pulls out his hand like this and then he puts it right back. It's awesome. He really played to the crowd well. And then Triple H responds to that with, 
Bullshit. And then, yeah, like you say, Shane comes out and Jesse says to him, You ain't gonna tell me shit. <laughs> you ain't shit, old man. Uh, it's awesome. You know, Shane McMahon comes out, tries to defuse the situation, gets stunned by Steve Austin, then Jesse shit cans him. He gets physical. Then he calls him a little bastard. <laughs> brilliant. Uh, and as he's there on the ropes, Jesse's like, That's for your old man, you little bastard. Yeah. I love that. Austin, for whatever reason, just gets caught up. Austin's meant to lean on the ropes, you go back and it's like, what's going on here? He's all fucking caught. <laughs> and Triple H is like, what's going on? And they just stand there, Austin's like, help. <laughs> help. <laughs> and they kind of like awkwardly let Austin out of this like fucking Chinese finger trap he got himself caught in. But it really is awkward. So Austin gets a pedigree. And you're thinking, okay, here we go. Triple H's time. It's his time. It's his time, as he has been saying. But no, Mankind, out of the blue, as as, as wildly unforeseen as his inclusion in the match, Mankind hits a double-arm DDT, pins Stone Cold Steve Austin, one, two, three. Good Lord. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Micker. Yeah, so am I, but I did not see that coming like, <laughs> no. at all. Seriously. He's a big comeback. He Mick Foley was... beat Triple H and Stone Cold clean well, on pay-per-view. Whatever about Triple H, in the entire run of the podcast so far, has Stone Cold Steve Austin ever been pinned cleanly? You know, I don't think he has. Oh, he got pinned by both Kane and The Undertaker, but, but that you, doesn't you know, really count. at the same time, handicap, that was screwy, but... yeah. Uh, I don't think, I don't he, think has. he has. That's crazy. So it's the Micker. The Micker takes the gauntlet. Such is the extent of Steve Austin not wanting to put Triple H over. <laughs> but um, yeah, so there we go. Mankind beats Stone Cold Steve Austin. And in a bid to become the greatest transitional champion of all time, Mick Foley solidifies his status. The next night on Raw, he gets challenged by Triple H and he loses. Oh, and, for fuck's sake. Which makes this... Austin refusing to put over a Triple H thing even more ridiculous and... And more obvious as well. And more obvious the fact that he's the very next night on Raw. You give it the belt to the guy. God, that is the definition of transition, isn't, isn't it? That's it? Insa- yeah. Poor Mick. Poor Mick. Seriously, that was his... He won the title on pay-per-view and poor, everything. Poor and... Triple H. You know, yeah, I feel know. bad for Triple H in that no, situation. Bad. That's that a sucks. bad start to a title reign. Really bad Seriously. start. Seriously. Oh. Poor well, guy. There you go. That is it. SummerSlam 1999. I have to say, I really enjoyed this one. Yeah. Uh, very it's... enjoyable. What I always find strange is that people... People, I know, rag on this one a little bit, SummerSlam 1999. Yes, like the general consensus seems that SummerSlam 99 isn't a good pay-per-view, but I'll be honest, I really, really enjoyed this. But... I know. I mean, there was a couple of matches which were maybe misses, but I think we're, we're yeah. finding this thing with, with these late 1999 pay-per-views is that even if there are a few matches, the pace is so relentless. You're not. You're rarely unentertained. I mean, even Undertaker and Big Show managed to entertain us in this one. But for people to say that SummerSlam 1998 is this amazing, unbelievable classic pay-per-view, and SummerSlam 1999 is this, you know, redheaded stepchild of a pay-per-view, I just don't agree with no, that. No, that's I unfair. Think I think this is a really, really enjoyable show. I mean, it's been a while since I watched SummerSlam 98, but I think I probably enjoyed this a little bit more. Like the wrestling was all spot on. There were screwy storylines in certain parts of it, but. Um, Good God, we had some great matches on this card, and it was just generally a great pay-per-view all around. Match of the night, MVP. My match of the night, undoubtedly, Shane versus Test. Unbelievable match. Yeah, I kind of agree with you on that one Like as well, I said yeah. before, uh, great wrestling, great drama, and also great comedy as well. Like, it's the perfect mix. It was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, awesome. Um, MVP. MVP, obviously, as well, Shane McMahon. Just because, like, we've we've had before now, we've always said, like, oh, isn't Shane amazing? He's not a wrestler, and he can do all this stuff. But now it's like he's doing things that he doesn't need to do. He's, you know, he's yeah, getting used to that. <laughs> yeah, he's proved that he can fight in the ring and put on a match. Mm. There was no need for him to pull out a corkscrew moonsault. There was no need for him to do that massive elbow drop to the outside. But he did it all anyway. Yeah, it's fucking awesome that he did that. Definitely, Billy, match tonight MVP. Completely agree with that. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's across the board because I agree as well. Uh, this match, this match, uh, the lover lever Greenwich Street fight, is absolutely brilliant. It's a style that I think 
goes on to become synonymous with Shane. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, it's like if you see a Shane McMahon match, it is going to be a knockout, crazy, fast-paced brawl. And fun as well. And fun as well. It's awesome. Really good. I suppose the only thing I would say, special mention to Jesse Ventura for, you know, doing a, you know, get involved, hmm. doing all he could do. Because, I mean, they put a lot of, they put a lot of their eggs in one basket in terms of this one with, with Jesse. And if he didn't, you know, perform or comply or decide to pull out at the last minute, they were fucked. Yeah. And not only did he do it, he performed well, he, he was believable, he interacted with the characters, and uh, most importantly, that little promo where he says, I'm proud to be a wrestler. The, the pride, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that, uh, that, you got a little gold star for me there. Jesse Ventura, as if I need more reasons to fucking love you. <laughs> and to, to end it on a classic line from Jesse Ventura, another Jesse Ventura success story. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Attitude Era podcast thanks so much for tuning in reminding you as always you can follow us on twitter at ae podcast keep up to date live tweet raw with us let us know your thoughts on the product and the podcast also head on over to facebook.com forward slash attitude era podcast if people enjoy the caption contest we'll do more of them check out the fan art folder we're getting amazing stuff there and thank you everyone for taking part and you know it's a nice little community over there at the moment yeah it's, it's becoming a nice little thing on facebook yeah. so please yeah. feel free to come in and contribute also if you like more visual things go on over to youtube.com forward slash ae podcast where you can find some little clips we put together making some highlights of some of the you know the funniest things we've talked about in the past also vine don't forget to check out our vine it is linked to our twitter account at ae podcast got loads of little bite-sized videos there in general goofs and spoofs we're also on matthewsbotchamania.com so go on there get some little uh, videos little things little goofs bits, and gaps. all little bits and pieces some little things you're like that's what it is it's a thing bric-a-brac <laughs> come to it's our bric shop Go to Batchamania.com. It is tangible. <laughs> We've also got an article in Calling Spots. If you're interested in a wrestling fanzine, got a nice little article in there. We also present it now. Yes, and issue eight is coming out as well. Keep an eye out for that because Adam's got an art project that's going to be in it, and I'm saying it now to make you make sure you do it. I'm definitely going to do it. <laughs> you're locked in now. Okay. Alrighty, gang. It's a goodbye from me, Kevin. Me, Adam. And me, Billy. And we'll see you next time on the Attitude Era podcast. Hopefully, these last five minutes didn't fuck up like it has every last. Time.